Hey, this is Mike Herrera. You're listening to Magnified Pod. This is a yelling podcast. From poking at you to plans and everything in between, this is Magnified Pod, the only podcast that discusses culture, religion, politics, and the entire discography of everyone's favorite left coast punks, MXPX. And we're back. Yeah, we are. Um, John, you're going to have to speak. This way? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm Andrew. I'm John. Yeah. John. <laughs> and... We are not in Magnified Studios West. Oh no, we are in what? <laughs> what city is this even? Valpo. Is this Valparaiso? Yeah. I didn't know if we were if we got off the Indiana. Uh, yeah, we're in Valparaiso. Uh, Valpar- Let me try that again. Valparaiso, Indiana. It's the one. Um, and we are hanging in a hangar. In a hangar. Whoa! Nailed it. <laughs> 10 comedy points. Thank you. We are hanging with writer, director, producer, filmmaker, pilot, MXPX fan, owner of Sna- uh, Snaproll Studios pr- video production company, our boy, Brian Bouchelt. What's going on, guys? What up, Brian? I, I, f- <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I don't know if I'm like, you gave me the movie trailer voice for that introduction i don't know if i deserve that that level of filmmaker yeah the creator in a world man mxpx is making music i hope i don't let some people down now but uh thank you i'm i'm thanks for coming to me you guys are here uh yeah man um, I was told you'd paid for gas money. <laughs> I mean, cool. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little awkward. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a sweet setup. Much much nicer than my basement or uh, your dining room, as lovely as it is, does not feature uh, warplanes mere feet away from a recording. Or, and we typically don't uh, record on top of an airplane engine usually not you usually not but in this case in this uh so um we've got a dope table here uh yeah custom made with glass on top of the engine part we'll post mad pics yeah um punk is riding the engine we as as i've said the pokenacha punk is never leaving my side again so he's coming with me everywhere we go but okay so when we reached out to brian um Back in July, I think, was when we first started uh, chatting, um, trying to uh, figure out when this might be able to work. Um, and we finally locked down that some time to do this. You said, hey, look, we could do this out in, in, the, in the hangar. And I said, that'd be cool. Um, and I said that he undersold it because this is unbelievable. Yeah. But... He said, I didn't tell you anything you didn't ask. Sure. So I didn't not undersell it. Right. Or, so we inferred a card table in a in a back office yeah, somewhere. Spot somewhere in a hangar, but it is uh, super nice. It's um, it's a professionally decorated um, multi room uh, like setup, home away from home. It's a it would you call it a pilot like 
It's kind of like a Ralph Lauren man cave, yeah. pilot man cave in a yes. hangar. Yeah. I, I feel like we should be smoking cigars. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of where pilots come to chill sometimes. Yes, yeah, right? yes. Okay, cool. Aviation when they're not enthusiasts. In a, there you go. Yeah, uh, when they're not in a cockpit, they're hanging out in <laughs> a leather chair with a little ottoman. That's right. Yeah, um, so there's like all kinds of like war memorabilia, bomber jackets. Um, there is, uh, I will, I should note, um, a photo with from the Both Ends Burning right. uh, MXPX documentary featuring Yuri in the uh, in what what plane is that again? It's a Stearman. Stearman. Yeah. Not the chipmunk. Not the chipmunk. He he got to go. He was going to go last, so That's he ended right. up going in the, the uh, Stearman. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, we were also feet away from the chipmunk, featured yep. heavily in in both ends burning as well. Yeah, it's. Um, Brian opened the door into the hangar, and there are there are just airplanes. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I wasn't prepared no. for any of this. Our minds were blown. <laughs> um, so uh, before we get too much further. Uh, John, I think uh, I'm parched. I think so. Are you? Would you? Would you like to crack open? You talking about a best life? A best life best IPA. Best life IPA. This yeah, is a well. bit that's never gonna get old. Nope. And I'm not gonna get any on the engine. Nope. That's well, right. a. Yeah. So, <laughs> Brian, if you're wondering what we're doing, <laughs> we we created this hilarious bit. That we won't let die. Sweeping the nation. Sweeping the nation. Everybody uh, loves it. We were just saying, like, the, uh, you know, the Best Life video and song, like, some beer company should snatch that up and do an ad campaign around it. We're not sure if Silver City has the money to do <laughs> that. But, like, isn't it a great, like, crack open a Best Life IPA? <laughs> if you want to have your best life. <laughs> you got to get the slow motion scenes from the camp out. There you yes, go. Yeah. This is what I'm no, saying. I, yeah, absolutely. This is and this is what like sitting around a campfire with your bros, yeah. drinking some best life IPAs. <laughs> so it's... we just do our best Sam Elliott voice mm-hmm. and and it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <We're>... No, uh, <laughs> yeah, trust me. I, I feel honored to be in the presence <laughs> of, of it. You guys genius. get to listen to it. Okay. I actually get to see the faces yeah. as it's happening. <laughs> it's it's pretty So remarkable. everybody should feel very jealous of me. <laughs> um yeah. We I think I think if there's anything if, that uh, <laughs> listeners would understand more about us if we did film this podcast uh-huh. was um, the sweet faces we make. <laughs> that and how much air guitar and oh, yeah. air bass we do. Um, because we did a live stream last week during our, our uh, uh, at the show episode. And I don't know, people might have thought we were performing for the camera. No. That's, that's just, literally... That's just the way we do. That's, that's the way we do. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Speaking that's my, of which, that's my, Yeah, it's one of cheers. my videos. I was going to say, <laughs> good transition. So, uh, well played um, then. Sorry, that. sorry that we're drinking the beers um, in front of you. But. No, don't be. I, I actually hate beers. <laughs> I'm not offended. You drink... Uh, we will have some for you. I have a whole case of the Poconacha beer in my basement. So jealous. But I don't drink it because I don't like it. So and it just sits down and there. it's probably That's, not any good anymore. Yeah, it's probably not. Well, it still looks great. Still, yeah, it still looks great. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that was time I was saying on the pod, that's how I first found out about 350s when they brewed 
the Pocono Atchebury. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is sadly no more in the world except in your basement. But yeah, no, we were we were talking to Todd though when we were at three fifty the other day, and uh, I love that dude. Yeah. We were, uh, someone was asking him to reboot it, so I who knows? Maybe happens. it's not dead. Maybe Why it becomes not? a zombie and comes back. Yeah, that'd be that cool. would be that would be tight. I don't know. And why. I don't have any leads on that. By the way, don't everybody get excited. <laughs> um, that's sure. that's, that's I, I breaking news. <laughs> Magpot Brian exclusive. <laughs> Magpot exclusive. Brian Bouchel breaks the news. Yep. I'm just gonna sell my old, you know, bad, spoiled stuff. <laughs> yeah, and sure. Somebody, somebody just somebody just sold on eBay. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> the like a whole bunch of the new stuff, the new vinyl, new, like a whole pack of the stuff for 300 bucks. Wow. And I can't help but feel like not. <laughs> Not only do people have their stuff already, but people are already selling their stuff on eBay before I can even get my shit. <laughs> we also have confirmation from Tom Chichilla and Mike that we are definitely getting our stuff last. <laughs> At this point, it is intentional. Yeah, it is 1,000% so. intentional. Tom, Tom's like, I made it clear. This is happening. Yeah. There's no better way to thank fans that, you know, put in the extra time to do a whole podcast promoting their band than to give them their stuff last. Exactly. Makes sense to me. I mean, this is, I mean, there's no, there's no reason why. I mean, I can only imagine that Mike only listened to the before everything and after episode and was like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah. Oh no, Tom Chichilla for sure. If he's listening to this, he's giving it the finger right now at me just for saying that. So, without well, a doubt, he's been giving this pod the finger for a while. I think that's true. Um, that is true. But uh, yes, Brian is a name that will be familiar to the PXPX Nation. He uh, is a longtime collaborator of the band, uh, filmmaker, as we mentioned, uh, directed, produced, edited uh, both ends burning documentary, and then a lot of videos lately. <laughs> Um, including Let's Ride, which some might say is the best MXPX video of all time. I don't know, maybe it's been thrown around. That is humbling, man. <laughs> that is humbling. Um, but we'll get into we'll get into all that. Yeah. Um, do we want to kind of start? How did you first? Where did you first hear of MXPX? I mean, yeah. that's the question. <laughs> and uh, yeah, how did you how did you start as a fan? You know, when did you first start listening, and how did that transition into working with them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's well, the, the, you tagged on that last question questions. at the very end, which is very different. But like, you know, from how I got into them or introduced to them, so I was in sixth grade. I was in, I grew up in Tampa, so I was okay. born in Indiana, grew up in Tampa area suburbs, and then moved back up to Indiana um, just before high school. And in middle school. Um, Everybody started. I was at this private Christian middle school, sure. and uh, everyone had this new record. Uh, this was CD cassette. I don't even know what it was at the time, but it was uh, it was Life in General, okay. and they were all singing Chick Magnet, uh-huh. and I didn't know. I was I felt so left out. I didn't know what it was. It was brand new, and so my buddy he had the CD, so he let me borrow it, and um, I've always said there's like. You know, there's like so few defining moments in your life where you can see like a fork in mm-hmm. your life and it just changes everything. And it sounds so cliched or whatever else, but like he let me borrow that record and everything changed. Mm-hmm. Like what I listened to changed, what my interests changed, my passions, how I acted, how I dressed, like what I wanted to listen to. And and my dad was a youth pastor, right? So yeah. like, he, and which was great <laughs> because like, 
I've always joked that like the reason I don't hate him like other pa PKs, pastors, kids, is because he was a youth pastor and he actually knew how to handle me. Right, but sure, uh, so yeah. he was. But so I grew up like going to Petra concerts as a <laughs> <Yeah>. child, like <laughs> little. So but that was rock, right? I had sure. the Amy Grant yes. and yeah. all that. Petra, like, kind of a different, different kind of more contemporary in the Christian music scene, but yeah, but they were hard rock, yeah. you know. So where to other hell people with had the devil man, exactly. No, 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 that was Striper. Petra, get it together. Uh, yeah, dude. dude. This is your entry Petra, point dude. into MXP. No, and, you you're right. This? I I I thought Striper when I heard Petra, but yeah, the Petra was my MXPX entry point. But yeah, never we'll, say dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, go. I was pre even that. Right, right? Right. I didn't even know about that for a while. Yeah. So. I grew up going to these Petra concerts, and of course, right. I like Newsboys and DC Talk and stuff like that. But when I got, you know, when I got that Life in General record, I just like everything changed, and yeah. I'm like, I this is this is my life now. Yeah. And uh, from there, I just you know dove in headfirst to Tooth and Nail and Goaty Hook and Five Iron Frenzy right and Value Pack and. So yeah, I mean that was that, and and but MXPX was always it. They were always my heroes from there, and uh, you know we moved up right, like I said, right before high school, and um, that's where I started going to my first MXPX concerts um, at the Metro in Chicago, which is yeah. kind of what I consider my home venue. Yeah. Yep, um, that was my first MXPX show. Was at the Metro? Was it? Yeah, I wonder if it was actually at the same show. Probably. I, I mean, no, um, it was early. It yeah. was probably freshman or sophomore year for me, which is like '98. 99 um my brother was probably at that show because my brother hit up some shows in 99 my first one was um april 2000 was that simple plan no it was um goady hook and the hippos yes i was at that show as well but it wasn't my first i have a postcard from that show damn still That's so awesome. i'm gonna have to send Do you, you that. if you remember anything about that show let me know because i remember absolutely nothing yeah i remember uh i didn't like the hippos <laughs> that's honestly my biggest takeaway from that show um i have some really cool stuff i have some photographer went out and took a picture of the marquee mm -hmm. for that show and he came in he got them printed like same time as like a professional photographer and he gave me one so I'm gonna I'm gonna scan that for you. Please, I'll do. blow it up so you'll have the marquee shot, cool. like a artistic shot of the first MXPX show you. Dude, at. that's amazing. So I got uh, you back. Dude, okay, so you probably noticed uh, noticed us laughing as you were kind of describing some things because you 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 were saying that this might sound kind of dorky, but you are so much describing. Both yes. of our experiences. I didn't say dorky. Would, I would said cliche. Cliche. Okay. For the yeah. Okay. For the life changing. But like no. no but that was we had yeah. that exact same experience with teenage politics. We altered the way we dressed. We, you know, I bleached my hair like Mike on the cover of of on the cover. And grew up my sideburns accordingly. <laughs> you know, ball chain necklace as discussed. Goatee hook. You know, follow it up by all the all of the tooth and nail stuff right. I could get my hands on, and it 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 was maybe it is cliche, but it's and I'm also a PK, so I think that there's you know a lot of a lot of similarities. We're running very much parallel. I don't know our age difference yeah i'm 36 now okay so i graduated in 01 so 35 okay so we're, we're all right there yeah, yeah. right there so living kind of that 
that. So, okay, so you went to a Christian school. Um, in in middle school, yeah. Christian middle school. High, what was high school? High school was Crown Point Public High School, so, yeah. S- okay. So, and it was public before. It was just middle school. They had this weird thing in Tampa where they bust inner city. Like, they switched, so you suburbs were bust inner city and vice sure. versa. Okay. And it was just a, a rough place, so they, my parents just said, ah, for these two years, we'll put you in. Okay. There, okay. So. so it wasn't out of religious like reasoning. Okay. Um, so what was your, what was the kind of the, did you find a Christian punk scene in where you were living or what was, what would you say was the, since you started listening to these bands, did you try and find that kind of a scene or did it exist where no, you were? Yeah, this is a great question. <laughs> I've made jokes about this all my life. So Florida was this really happening place yeah. for like, especially the Christian punk rock scene, like, mm-hmm. and, and really punk in general, but it had that whole vibe. And I moved to Indiana. Now, granted, we're in Northwest Indiana, which is a suburb of Chicago. So people are here in Indiana. I'm only an hour to hour 15 from downtown Chicago. So I'm as close as anybody in the suburbs that live in Illinois. So people, it's hard for people to you know, disconnect that. Sure. So Chicago was my home city, my where I went and saw the band. But when I moved to Indiana, um, it's a predominantly white area where Tampa is a very diverse place. And I just didn't understand racism. I didn't under, I mean, I knew it, the definition, but I'd never seen that firsthand. It was, it was, had, you know, lots of different friends um, from various backgrounds. And when I moved here, uh, everybody was white. Everybody, uh, wore tie-dye and flip-flops and listened to Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. And that was it. And uh, I was like, where did I come to? I need some people of color in my life because I miss all my friends. And so Chicago kind of became a sanctuary for me to go on the weekends and go to shows and stuff like that. But no, I was I was maybe there was one. I mean, I, it was a 2000, you know, kid high school. I probably had, I could count on one hand how many other kids listened to punk. And, sure. and they didn't listen to... Christian punk, you know, they right. listen to other punk, but right. we all got along in general. I mean, I, I could jump from scene to scene. I was on the soccer team, so I didn't, was in like a punk little isolation by myself, but, you know, I definitely yeah. understood those kids and they understood me. Sure. Yeah, I went to a Christian high school and somehow in our small class of like 100, there were like 10 of us who were super into punk and Christian punk and, you know, we were the kids who had the dyed hair and stuff, but like, yeah, somehow you found that community, and uh, I don't know, I guess, so I'm from the Twin Cities, and there was, like, a fair amount of that scene going there, but I feel like in Chicago there were a bunch of places to go. I mean, we've talked about Heart and Soul Cafe. Did you ever hear that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where was that? That was on the north side, right? Yeah, that was out in Arlington Heights, Mount Prospect. Yeah, I saw, uh, I want to say it was a Squad Five O. Oh, yes, the house. Band. I think Living Sacrifice <laughs> yes, was sir. there. Yeah. yeah, I was that. Yeah, I was. Up I there. I saw you and I. So this is weird because so Jenny, uh, who is John's wife, also grew up in the Chicago, the Northwest suburbs, and also went to Heart and Soul. And Jenny and I didn't meet until we were in college together. And so it also sounds like you and I were probably crossing paths at a bunch oh, of yeah. different shows yeah absolutely cornerstone did you ever make it to cornerstone uh 10 years straight uh-huh. my dad like would go and speak like <laughs> so, so, the first time, so did my dad <laughs> yeah which was actually great um <laughs> i remember just a side note I, I remember 
So my, I went for the first couple of years and almost died because, you know, I was in high school and I didn't know how to take care of myself. Sure. You yes. forgot to drink water. Yeah. And I like all my for eight all, hours. Yeah. yeah. No, like all my food spoiled on day one. And then I tried to live off milkshakes oh, for no. like a week. And I, and Perfect. I had this whole thing where I wouldn't shower. I almost died. Like the first year I was there. <laughs> you didn't be a consistent. Um, yeah. You didn't jump in the lake and shower. No, oh man. I couldn't get in that, that, that egg smelling rotten eggs lake. <laughs> No, I, I refuse to shower. I'm like, I'm in so many mosh pits. But my, my mom and dad started coming. And you'd think, like, that's really nerdy. But we had a pop-up camper, and we yeah. had one of the powered spots, one of, the, like, the thousand powered spots. Nice. And my mom would be, like, making steaks and everything else. And we would have bands, these big bands that would be in that same powered area. Uh-huh. Right. And they'd love it. Like, they'd love my mom. And they'd come over, and they'd hang out with us at the fire every night. And that's I'm like, awesome. this is the, the what you'd think would, like, scare bands off having your mom there she yeah. like became band mom so it was actually like the greatest thing and i lived like a king when i was there because <laughs> right. i was fed so well that's amazing yeah my um for me you know my my uh, my brother and his friends would go and they would like they my brother told this story um that like one of their first nights with one of our other friends it like rained like hardcore mm. and their tent got I was there that year destroyed yep. and they had to, ended up sleeping in their car but like when my dad would go to speak he they, he got put up in a hotel so it's like I'm like I'm gonna sleep in the hotel I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna sell out yeah I was gonna say cause that's sure. weak man I don't know <laughs> oh yeah, you were living okay. the high life though. yeah you were yeah you were I living... was on property though all <laughs> that's right fair, that's yeah fair. <laughs> I I you know my dad would be in the the speakers like um like the RV or whatever that was yeah. air conditioned I'd be I'd go in there I'd be like ah oh, sick I did get awesome. to sneak in there a few times that yeah. was pretty nice <laughs> yeah for sure and it's like it's a million degrees. And it's it's dusty and miserable. So just getting you know that few minutes of of AC, it just like it it refueled you for a bit. Oh, absolutely. I will say like just Cornerstone in general, like those were like the best week of my life consistently yeah. every time I was there. It was just everything I love, the community, yeah, the bands, you know. Um, I just said like there's few moments where you're like this is pure unadulterated joy yeah and that was cornerstone for me for sure yeah yeah it sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say one of the things we talked about we have talked about a lot on the pod is that that seemed kind of like a given at the time like of course there's a massive christian alternative music festival but looking back it's it was pretty special to have like a very specific scene like that yeah I, I was I, I was showing my wife the trailer for that Tooth and Nail documentary that mm-hmm. came out not too long ago, and there's a comment in there. I'm gonna butcher it, but it, just in the trailer, and it's like something like the art and the community came together so perfectly, and there was never kind of a better time mm-hmm. than that general late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah. You know, just how it all fit together, and, and yeah, you're right. We we did kind of take that for granted, but it was a really kind of Again, cliched, but magical time. Yeah, like, yeah no. I loved it. No, I. It's we we talked at length with Jason Hockney Zimet about this. How you know, there's I think there's a lot about the scene that we could look back on and kind of like make fun of or whatever. But I think there is. It does feel. It still feels very special to me, um, even though my my 
theological positions have shifted over the years to still have this kind of warm place for... Because I don't really think anything like that exists anymore that... I mean, yeah, there's still Tooth and Nail and Solid State bands, and a lot of the bands are still playing, but it it was like a culmination of lots of stuff happening, you know, Brandon starting the label and these, all these bands kind of being like, yeah, I like this music too, but I, I kind of want to put in my own message. And, and it was just a converging of really unique things. And, and for, for there to be a fan base too, of people that are like, yeah, this is, this is what I've been looking for. This kind of music, which is why cliche as it may be, we all had that moment where we're like, holy shit, this, and everything changed. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, so going to Christian bookstore and like picking up, you know, those, um, those tooth and nail samplers, yeah. you know? And oh, I love them. Songs from the Penalty Box was like Songs my favorite Penalty. thing. I remember yeah. getting like, they had a Cornerstone special edition one year. Nice. That you get it like early at Cornerstone. Yeah, I love the samplers. Yeah. yeah. But nothing that doesn't exist. Like, I don't feel... We talk about the Christian bookstore scene. Like, that... that It just... It's... I don't know. It just doesn't feel like that is a thing anymore. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that was kind of this... Like I said, this perfect little thing where the community and the art and just everything came together so well. But... You know, obviously that was pre-internet age as well, so that yeah. that changed everything. But um, yeah, no, I, I I feel really lucky. Like I'm excited to show my kids like my old Cornerstone recap DVDs and stuff like that because they're That's asking cool. to ask questions about that kind of stuff, and uh, I'm just excited to have kind of some of that documented. You know? Yeah. But no, it's some of those. Those are some, still some of the best like times of my whole life. Totally. Did you? Um I mean, so around that time, as you're kind of discovering what you're really into, you're seeing, did you get into filmmaking as early as then, or was that like a much later thing? Yeah, so great question. I don't know. So for a long time, I, I, I kind of said definitively I got into filmmaking post-college. Okay. But then I had all these people remind me of, I was always into film. Like, I'll start there. I loved film. And people remind me of things I had been doing, so like, in fifth grade, I started creating my own films. My mom had this five hundred. I didn't even know it was five hundred dollars until this year. But this five hundred dollar camcorder, like a mm-hmm. VHS over the shoulder, sure. And um, RCA. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And uh, I grew up in, in, like I said, outside of Tampa. So we had annual pass to Disney. We didn't have a ton of money, but we all decided that that was be our annual Christmas yeah. present together. Is annual passes, and we can go to Disney all year. That's our, awesome. And our family that still goes every, once a year or once a week. Once a year for a week to this day, just because that's a place that we all yeah. just grew up loving together. Um, but MGM, now it's Hollywood Studios, especially yeah. in the late uh, in the in the '90s, had a full like it was actually about filmmaking. It was much totally. more like Hollywood Studios, or I'm sorry, like Universal Studios. And uh, I was always so drawn to that. I loved yeah. knowing how it worked. So I started making stop motion animation films. Actually, it was it was stop motion combined with live action. Okay. In fourth and fifth grade. It's cutting edge stuff. Well, I mean, 
But I just would mimic what I was watching them do yeah, with sure. Play-Doh and G.I. Joe's. And I started making these horror films like The Blob <laughs> and stuff like awesome. that. And and um, and I and I distinctly remember that, like for the live action stuff that I'm in, so I'd star in it myself as well as direct it. I would ang- angle the camera up because I didn't want to show couches because somehow I knew that. I mean, obviously it's a house, but somehow I knew that if you saw the living room, it would ruin the illusion of sure. this fight going on. You because it, it would give you scale. Sort no, of like- just that you would know it's a living room. It was supposed to be this news reporter on scene with the blob attacking. And again, I didn't have editing software. I did this all in camera. I would literally start, stop, and have to rewind. If I messed up one thing, I'd have to go backwards, hours erased, and start from that spot. And I'd have to go to the TV and watch it back as I did it and time it. Um, But but you, you can't learn that or you can't teach that to a kid that young that like somehow the angle of this is going to take away the illusion of this and... I would actually cut my words into like cut up words because it was stop motion. So I'd have to ha- say half words every time I stop. Like stop uh, it in. Uh-huh. And so again, like I don't, I, I think that just, you just, I don't know. I don't know how I came up with that. So even all the way back then, I still have some of those movies, yeah. um, those stop motion animation movies. Um, into high school, they had these early computers that allowed you to do some very basic video editing. I remember always doing that. In college, I had some people that started showing me um, nonlinear editing software, which is essentially what, that's just a fancy term of what we know now. Like, For me, it was Sony Vegas because that was the only thing my old computer could run. So I used Sony Vegas Pro simply out of being poor and not having anything else. But that's, so that's just a regular editing software like Premiere or Final Cut. Um, So I started to learn the ropes of kind of modern editing then and uh, using some more like mini DV camcorders. But that all the way back to elementary school from being around Disney and just loving film and just picking it up. I actually trained myself also watching DVD extras. Like I had all these DVDs and I'd watch the extras and I was so fascinated. Half the time I'd watch those before I actually watched the movie. Totally. Yeah. So... uh, I resonate with this very deeply. Yeah. We both wanted to be cartoonists when we were kids. And when I went to, like, Disney was great, but MGM was really what blew me away because they had, in particular, this thing where you could, like, you would watch Roger Rabbit scenes and then, like, you'd do the voice or whatever. And I was just like, I want to do this for a living. Um, And then, yeah, I bought a DVD player because of these, like, special edition DVDs that came out. And I was like three hours of <laughs> behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Like, I have to watch those. If the so. longer, the better. Actually. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Anyway. And no, that's awesome. I, someone that actually get it doesn't think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I have a stop motion animation <laughs> film that I did. What um, was it about? It was, um, it was Legos. Yes. Okay. Um, but I did this in college for a video <laughs> production class. Awesome. Um, it's called Crazy Willie Saves the Day. And is it available? It I have, I still have the DVD. We will link to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to show you. It's but it when I I did this project, um I was going to do another film project and then I called an audible and I was like I want to do this for whatever reason. And then I, I finished it, and it, it was painstaking and terrible and took forever. And my I remember my video production teacher, um, I think he was, 
he was like Swedish or Norwegian. Norwe- no, 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 he was. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he's like he's like. Oh, if I knew this was what you were going to do, I would have told you to not do it. <laughs> he was he was like I would have Brutal. discouraged you. That's, that's the pull quote on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um film uh uh Ber- Bergren, I think was oh, his, yeah, what's his sure. well, I don't remember. Anyway, but he uh yeah, it 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 was well, but of course I had editing software yeah, to use. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> But so you, but you didn't go to school for film. That's correct. Yeah. How uh, did I, you? Where? Because I'm assuming your father has been a pilot for years, and that was. But why? Why did you choose a- aviation over film? Yeah. Um, I always loved. That was my other passion. Was flying. I, I. You know, other kids went and went to museums and stuff like that. And while I did that. Uh, air shows or where, where I was always at. My dad was just an enthusiast. He loved aviation. Again, he was a pastor. So it wasn't like he had a whole bunch of money or outlet to go and do that, but he really loved it. So he would build RC airplanes and uh, just pick up hours or hang out at the airport wherever he could. And so I was raised around that. I was raised by jumping in the back of a small airplane and just buzzing through fields and around trees. That's cool. Uh, so I just always loved it. That's what I always wanted to do. And for me, it was a really stable job kind of path. Um, I always loved film, and people are like, well, you should go and do film stuff. And, from, and, I, and I knew how hard it was. And I also, it was really important for me to have a family. I know that's really weird, <laughs> but I, like, I, was, I was like the one kid that I really loved my family. And I was like, I can't wait to have that. I can't wait to have, for me to have kids and to have a wife and to invest in them. And for me, even in, in high school, I was like, well, I feel like I can go the film route, but that's a lot of uncertainty. It's a lot of this and that. And ultimately, it doesn't fit in with what I want to do eventually as a, with a family. And so I just, and aviation, I really loved. And even though I loved vintage aviation, I loved World War II airplanes. I loved all the, the you know, the stuff from the 20s and 30s. But um, flying paid really well, flying for an airline, a commercial pilot. And uh, it would allow me to then go out and own my own small airplane, and it gave me a lifestyle that, you know, could support a family better than kind of chasing dreams in Hollywood or doing sure. something like that. So, yeah. So I always but loved it. Have, I never wanted to pursue it. Dreams though, bro. <laughs> well, I mean, I did. Yeah, I mean, aviation is kind of crazy in itself. Yeah, so yeah, sure. I went. I went to Indiana State uh, for pro pilot. I ended up switching halfway through to uh, basically aviation management uh, because I realized that. ProPilot is a made-up degree because you just need a four-year degree, and they okay. just called it ProPilot. And so, if I wanted to do anything else, I so I switched and then continued to get my rating. So yeah, so I, I graduated, and uh, from there I graduated at the worst possible time. Um, I, as I graduated, they extended extended mandatory retirement in the airlines from six to sixty-five, and essentially three percent of re, of pilots retired in that five years that were supposed to retire on time. Which I don't blame them. I wouldn't have. They got an extra five years on their career. Uh, but I graduated the year that happened, or right before it. Okay. And uh, that meant there was no jobs for five years when I got out. And that was really hard. Um, and, I, uh, and I found myself in a situation where I come back from college. I'm back in, you know, Northwest Indiana. And Northwest Indiana is an awesome place. I actually really like it. Um, but it tends to be 
for that age group, post-college, people leave. That's when people leave. So there's younger, there's older, but there's not that age. So I found myself in a situation where there wasn't many people my age. I had to get a job at Best Buy as I was trying to basically fly for free to, because that was the only way to earn hours. I couldn't sure. pay for them. So if I could offer my services and fly for free, then at least I would log an hour that was worth 150 bucks mm-hmm. because you have to hit a certain threshold to, to be competitive. And so I did that essentially. And I found myself without a lot of friendship around here. And um, it was really lonely, frankly. I mean, I, for lack of a better term, and being honest, it was lonely. And Best Buy was great, though. I, I still love that company. Like, I have a lot of respect for them and what they do and how they run their operation. Um, and they basically said, hey, we have this video camera, this little camcorder. It's a Sony camcorder. And I was like, hey, can I borrow? Is it just, can I? I know we're not allowed to take it out of the store, but can I borrow it and just, because I really need a hobby because it's, kind of bummed uh-huh. and we just had a great relationship and they essentially let me take it out of the store and they they didn't let anybody know and I'd always bring it back yeah. and uh and I just went to a local band and I was like hey I got to I got to like fill my time with something that's like positive can I just like film you guys you don't even have to use it but I need to, to be able to edit I got to be able to film something and I always love music I'm so passionate about music and I've always wanted to do m- music videos can I just film you guys and if you use it great but if you don't then also great and they're like dude we were just talking about needing somebody to to film us and that was in around 08 okay uh which at that time there wasn't a lot of people doing that and 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 really the technology was just becoming affordable enough to be able to do it in your basement and learn it in your basement so that was just kind of this weird crossover so um yeah, so that's kind of how I got started and got into it. I just taught myself in my basement. I had time to burn. I didn't have a ton of friends to hang out with at the time. Sure. And uh, I just started editing with these local bands. And I, I think from just kind of those instincts and really engaging and learning the processes and learning ways that were different. Um, yeah, so and around that time, and this is kind of where MXPX comes in, um, Jared, and feel free to cut me off if you have any questions oh, in that's here. Great. But, this is where we were going. Yeah, so Jared Scott, who I'm sure you guys all know as well, my buddy. Uh, so I, he had done his first MXPX shows, and I had seen his stuff, and I really had liked it. So I messaged him, and I said, hey, can I buy a print? I really, They're just unique shots of MXPX. He's like, dude, yeah, nobody's wanted to buy a print before. That's cool. So I bought his first print he ever sold. It was to me. I still have it. That's cool. And... Um, so that kind of opened up a dialogue and a friendship, and um, he started touring with them not long afterwards, and they were doing a documentary, and he knew I had the airplanes, and um, I was still doing my little local band thing. And so he said, hey, you know, can we have a day off around Chicago. What's the chances of, of stopping and going flying with you guys? And we'll bring the band and just have make a day of it. And to me, that was like, you know, what worlds you know, colliding yeah exactly <laughs> like my all-time heroes coming yeah. and hanging out i'm like yes let's make this happen and i didn't sleep for probably a month you know <laughs> to that point so anyway that's uh so that's kind of how our paths crossed now i had been in the fan club i had done like um where i had worked for them at shows for the fan club to try to recruit people and i got okay. to meet them so we got into a point where like they knew who i was sure um but that was kind of the first time I ever hung out with them, and okay. they were filming this documentary. Um, 
which I was not a part of at the time. Yeah. Ironically, I ended up taking it over, okay. and it ended up becoming my project a couple of years later. But okay. at the time, I was just a fan that was taking them flying, you know? Okay. So was all the footage, um, you know, where they're talking to the camera and they're in Indonesia and stuff, was that for a planned documentary that didn't really happen until you kind of took the footage and kind of okay. kind of so um and even stepping back i, I want to quickly note something yeah. uh, mike on you're going to hear it on his podcast if you listen to both because i was saying that that was kind of the first time we had crossed paths and he's when well, it wasn't but that i kind of figured i figured for years that that's the first time you guys remember me uh-huh. as a filmmaker because we had talked about oh i kind of do some stuff and and so that kind of put it on his radar but he's like actually the first time i remember brian is you gave us this DVD you shot at Cornerstone and That's you put cool. a logo on it. He's like, I've never, and I'm like, yes, we have a logo on a piece of footage. I'm like, and I'm sitting here doing the podcast, like my jaws on the ground. I'm like, I never knew that that yeah, actually yeah. came into your radar. That's cool. So, and just to explain that a little bit, because I didn't on here. Um, so my first MXPX project, again, I just, I, I took videos from all over that I found online and I made a theme fiasco music video. Cool. So, one of our faves. Yeah, so I'm going to have to dig it up somewhere if I yeah. can still find it. Yes, but I made should. this theme fiasco music video, and I, and I, and I, but I don't think I ever sent that to him. But then I, I filmed, I bootlegged on the big bowl at Cornerstone. I took a little video camera, set it on my knee, and then didn't move for two hours. Like I could barely walk afterwards. <laughs> I'd zoom in and out, zoom up on the big screen, zoom uh-huh. in and out. And then I, I went and I bought a little cutting board and a printer and DVD cases and I made menus, and I put these rare, nice. like, bonus features of, like, songs I found on the internet. Cool. And I created this whole DVD menu and, and a whole package DVD, and I did this for two. I did Cornerstone for one, and I found a whole concert online, and I made these two DVDs, these bootleg series DVDs, and I sent him copies of them. And then he emailed me back, and he's like, oh, that was really cool, thanks. Right. And that, But I thought that was as far... And then he brings it up on the podcast. Yeah. That was actually when I kind of... He kind of recognized me as a artistic yeah. talent, which That's totally really caught cool. me off guard, which was really cool. So yeah. anyway, going back to your question about Indonesia and all mm-hmm. that. So uh, we became friends at that point. You know, that's when we started talking and everything else. Um, I had sent Mike this. I did a feature length documentary for one of the local bands in Chicago I worked with. And I sent him a copy. Was that Flatfoot? It wasn't Flatfoot. Oh. This was actually for a band that was on Flatfoot's management label called okay. Urbanites. Okay. Um, and I did a full-length film that corresponded with their with their EP release. Um, and then after, right after that, I did Flatfoot, who, again, co-management. So they took me out, and we filmed a music video at Cornerstone, which it was full circle again for me, yeah, right? Because cool. at that point, now I'm there with a band filming at this festival that was like everything to me. Right. Um, so that was that was my first kind of exposure to working with a bigger band was Flatfoot. And what's funny is like those guys are my brothers now to this day. Um, and I just love that so much. But um, so I sent Mike the Urbanites film, and I sent him the Flatfoot music video. And uh, he was like, basically like, "Hey, you know, we shot that documentary, or we're shooting it, and it just kind of all fell apart. But we still have all this footage, and I'd really like to put it back. To, I'd pick it back up again. Would you be interested?" And when I first got that call, or when Jared's like asked me if I'd be willing to do something, I thought maybe a segment of it. Sure. Never did I dream it'd be the entire film. And so I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was a passion project. Like there was no money in any of. It. I mean, all of us were just trying to get by. And for me, it was my chance of working with MXPX. 
So Mike sent me this box of DV tapes. He's like, look, man, I just randomly grabbed. I have like so many DV tapes. I don't even know what's on them. I just randomly grabbed them and sent them. So I got them and I started digging through hours and hours. I mean, I have so much footage that nobody's ever seen before. And I realized real quickly that I had all these mini segments, but I didn't have a film. Mm-hmm. It was a disaster. Like whatever they were doing, and no offense to anybody, but it was, it was not there. Yeah. And um, I had to call Mike and I was so devastated because I, w- I had to call him and be like, I can't make you a movie. Yeah. Like I can make you mini stories, but I got nothing to carry us through. And uh, I thought he was going to be like, okay, well, that's it. And that w- there goes my chance of working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and about that time is when Yuri uh, was talking about leaving the band. Right. You know, and I was like, hey, you know, maybe we can tie this in. Maybe we can do this bigger storyline and then remember backwards these stories and then use that footage. And so I flew out to Las Vegas to film that. And that's where the documentary starts, right, of course. Right. But that's why it starts there. Um, a lot of people have asked me, they're like, it's okay, you know, it's okay. But it's, it feels very rubber band together, right? And, and I'm not offended by that. I feel, I feel that. Maybe I'm even harder on it than other people. I mean, I love it. But it was hard because I was essentially given something right. that a, kind of a hodgepodge and said, can you salvage this out of it? And I think I think we did. I'm I'm happy. I think we did as much as we could have with what we had, and then creating that story. And what was cool is there was no plan for Yuri to stay, right? You know, and there was no plan to record plans within plans that would, right. didn't exist. That we thought that record would never come out. Yeah. But that all happened over the course of me trying to figure out how to, where to take this story. So it kind of naturally evolved into that, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, that took me about a year. That took because we had no direction, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to sort through footage and try to figure out what was going to happen with it. So I know I went on a, on a long thing and went through multiple things. So. That's great. No, no, that's that's awesome. Um, kind of jumping off of that, you know, you talk about um, telling a story, and um, so and, and on your site, you talk about how you like to use film to tell stories while leaving the meaning a little vague for the viewer, kind of leaving it up to, um, to the viewer to kind of decide. So, I mean, apart from the documentary, cause you have done a bunch of music videos. Yeah. So how do you decide what kind of story to tell and how much you decide to tell quote unquote, the quote, you know, tell the viewer? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, so documentary, I mean, it's, it, it, there's kind of, again, I work within two different genres, documentary work and then music videos. And even really there's two subsets of music videos, right? Sure. You've got the In Your Face, which personally I love. I think I think bands can totally, just filming a band can totally carry a music video. That's a, not a common and a popular belief. And I've tried to rebring that back because as a fan... I loved watching just awesome, like the refused uh, video for New Noise. Mm-hmm. Like when they're on screen playing their instruments, I'm like, I want to watch this all day long. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. so for me, it's really important to have a really good music video. And that's why you see so much of that. Like half of everything I've done is just bands playing. I think fans have responded really well to that. Well, I think about doing time yes. was, you know, that's just them 
shredding in you know for a buck twenty five in in the in the clubhouse or in their old practice space, and I mean yeah, so maybe you can get away with just the band playing for a minute and twenty five seconds, um, but I still think you know if a band has that charisma, you know. And even in a music video, you know, like um, the Uptown Streets video yep. that you did, Mike is swinging his bass and doing his punk jumps and everything, and he's still he's still performing, it's, and it's, so it's still fun to watch. Absolutely, and and doing time is my all time favorite song and video by mm-hmm. MXPX. So, and actually, the Far Away video was my first kind of right. callback to yeah. that. Um, but so anyway, going back to your original question, I'll yeah. get on too many tangents because I'm sure this stuff will come back around and I'll talk about it. Um, so, uh, you know, the narrative stuff and how to do that. Um, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent comfortable to be honest with you, because again, I love documentary work because you're there and you have to think on your feet. You don't, you just have to capture it. If you don't capture it, it's gone forever. So you have a little bit of control over it, but otherwise you're just trying to capture it. And then you're kind of creating the story, not manipulating it, but you're just trying to put it, piece it together in post-production. And I think it really sharpens your skills and how fast you work and everything else. Um, And then you're kind of like the storyteller, right? You're the keeper of what's happening in that moment. And I've always really liked that. Um, So that, for how much I tell or don't tell, well... I think it just depends on the bigger story, what, what serves it, right? So, like, I have audio of Yuri in, in video of Yuri in, the, in Vegas going, I don't know. I, I, I didn't want to hold you guys back. It was a really pure thing. I appreciate it. He's like, I don't want to hold you guys back. So I was quitting because of that, but it wasn't because I wanted to quit. Hmm. And we're all like, why? He's talking to Mike Shea from AP Magazine. And yeah. um, this, those clips are on there. I just don't have any of the audio. Mm-hmm. I just have it as the intro because I didn't, I thought it was it's a very personal moment. I didn't think it served the grander story. And I think so, you know, in that, that moment, I just felt story wise that I didn't, and I didn't want to put him in that moment in there. I thought it was very personal. I don't mind talking about it, but I didn't want to put that video shot on screen. That's the other thing. There's a lot of trust. Obviously when you put a camera on somebody's face and I'm allowed to have it on anytime I want, even if there's a massive blowout fight, I have permission to keep filming. There's a lot of trust that comes with that and knowing how I'm going to handle that and, and treat it with respect, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, as far as the narrative music videos, I'm not real comfortable. Um, let's ride was absolutely terrifying for me. I'm not going to lie to you. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, it worked out. No, for, I mean, I appreciate for someone that. who doesn't feel comfortable. <laughs> You fucking crushed <laughs> it. I mean, John and I, the first time we saw um, the music video, I don't, should we divulge? Is it, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I mean, so uh, Jason showed us the video, um, bef- like, I think the day before it was released. Something like that. So a day or two before it was re- released. And John and I were like... We couldn't believe it. And, you know, I, we, uh, it just, it just, it was such an emotional tie. It was like a line. It was like a, just a whole tied so much of our experience together. And, 
you know, and my wife, who is not even an MXPX fan, I showed it to her and she just like burst into tears, you know. So you told a story super effectively that an MXPX fan and a non-MXPX fan could connect to at a very visceral level. Well, I mean, that it really is humbling. That's I, I keep saying that, but that's the only word I can think of. And I really do. That means a lot to me. And what I mean by that, and I don't say that to be like, you know, self, whatever, self, uh, what's the term? Deprecating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what I mean by that is, one, I, I do documentary and I do live stuff and I do that well. It's my bread and butter. I can go to a live show and get all the great shots. And I always love storytelling. So, like, I'm a huge, obviously, I grew up on Spielberg. I grew up on Hitchcock. I, but uh, my old, later in life, Terrence Malick has been, like, my primary. And I know people are like, oh, if they know who he is, because the majority of people hate him. To me, like, I can sit and watch me some Malick five-hour director's cut and just be lost in it. And Emmanuel Lubetsky is a uh, director of photography. Again, if this stuff is all whatever to you, it's pretty much the most beautiful things you've ever seen on film he did. But what what was interesting is uh, usually photography um, and narrative are, are not really, like, they're mutually exclusive. Like, you either get beautiful shots or your narrative, it's not the same. And they kind of had this idea that it can be the same. Um, and so I've been really inspired by that. I know I'm going really heady and deep on the films type stuff. I'm into it. But so I'm this. that's where I come from, except I, I, I work with punk bands, <laughs> right? So not like art life. house stuff. <laughs> yeah. So um, for me, when I approached, I, I guess we're going to, should I even talk about Let's Ride yeah, let's right now it. in this? Or I mean, I know there's a bunch of other stuff. That we're, Dude, we're, this is going to jump be, around. Uh, this is going to be a three hour. So just <laughs> we'll, we'll hook it back around. So take the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I got the song. I got moments first. Okay. Before the Kickstarter is ever released. And then the Kickstarter released and it blew up. And they're like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but at first it was gonna, it was just like handle the lyric video for moments. It was gonna be a lyric video, and I don't think they were planning on doing really anything else. And so then they sent me "Let's Ride," and this is again, right around the time the Kickstarter got announced. So I had a couple months before to work with that, and I needed it. And they called and they said. And this is, a, this is the thing I love working with Mike. I, lo- I work with a lot of bands now, a lot of great people, but there's a, r- a massive le- level of trust where, and not even just putting something in his face. He knows what he's getting with me. He knows what, I know what he likes. We work really well there. Um, there's a lot of freedom for communication and dialogue. Um, and I also don't feel like, if he's giving me something, it isn't to like dictate what he wants. He's going, I want whatever it is that you're going to put out. And I might tweak some things, but you know, I'm coming to you for that, not to dictate something to you. So he basically gave me moments or to let's ride. And he said, uh, and Tom Chichilla as well. He, they said, we want something more narrative driven for this video. We'd like to see some nostalgic things that's it those are literally the two things they asked from the video and they basically set me free and they said go come up and do your thing I said cool so um the song is obviously i didn't know even at the time if that was about mike's life i mean it's so 
kind of going back to your question is like how much do you put in? I didn't know as a songwriter, it's the same thing. I didn't know how much of it was about him. So I really was back and forth in turmoil about this. And I'm like, well, I can go totally away from that and try to do something completely different than the narrative that the song is, or I can fully embrace the narrative of the song. But I'm in Chicago, and even right. if I could make Lake Michigan look like the sea, like the sea <laughs> yeah. even if I could, I don't got Rockies. I just didn't <laughs> feel like I could pull off. And yes, they could fly me out, but I have a full-time job. I'm, I work. This is not my day job. So I don't. I can only go out for a weekend at a time. And I, that this was gonna take, you know, five to six days to shoot. So they're like, we don't care. <laughs> Do whatever it is that you want to do. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right. So I went back to my drawing board. I really was fighting with it. Just listen to the song and repeat over and over. And I'm like, okay, Indiana, Indiana. This is what I have. What do I have to work with that I can do here and do it effectively? And then really it was a matter of going, why don't I just tell my story mm-hmm. as a fan? Like, And again, we talked about those crossroads. This is where it all kind of circles back. Is that this band has been with me from every st- every step of the way like and i and i was uh, i had just gotten married we had just announced that we were pregnant with amy and i's first baby mm-hmm. she had two kids ben and june and when we got married so now i'm a dad to them and they're just as much my children as the baby but this is our first baby together sure um and so it, for me it was just this moment where i was like why don't i what happens and i started searching all over i'd never seen it before but i'm like i've never seen a band tell the story of their fans. I've never seen that. And again, maybe it exists, but I've never seen it. And I'm like, well, that's new. And I was like, and how many bands can say they've been around that long to be in a fan's entire life? And then it's it's really a testament to both. And I think I was uniquely suited to tell it because I'm not a fan anymore. Well, I am a fan, but I'm not. I'm part of the team. Sure. So I have a different lens. But I I know what it's like to be a fan. And I also... So I can honor fans in a way that probably only I can do it. But I can also honor the band in the only way that I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I can tell this, this parallel narrative as Mike or whoever is talking through this song about this. I'm going to show this fan go through these various life stages really that I had went through. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why it translated so well. Because it wasn't this scripted thing to try to get people to cry. Like... Right. <laughs> and and when you do that, I think that's where it fails. But when it's honest, but going back to where I say it was really it was the scariest thing I've done. Well, we don't get I don't have this big budget, right? I we did this thing. I I'm not even going to throw out numbers, but you would be dumbfounded <laughs> for how how little we did the music yeah, video for. Looks and good, and yeah. I mean that's charging my time and services at $0 obviously sure, yeah. as if we're a crew, but um, we don't. I didn't get to screen this for people. I didn't know anybody's response. Yeah. I didn't know what people were going to say or think. And I was taking a big risk by going, hey, this is a punk scene still. Let's talk about this life and this kid getting bullied and falling in love and having a baby. And yeah, they were meaningful to me, but just because something's meaningful and translating it that's a big risk. Yeah. You know, I really, I felt like I really put myself out there. I felt like the band really embraced it and fully 
I mean, Mike was like, oh, I mean, it just made sense. It was awesome, which yeah. I appreciate that. But for me, I didn't know. So when we released that, I mean, I, Jason had seen it, you know, and Jared, and they were both like, dude, we loved it. They were crying. I'm like, okay, but well, you guys are like, <laughs> you know, you're my teammates. Like, yeah, yeah. can I trust that? And it wasn't until that first couple of days where I was just wave after wave of people saying that. I'm like, oh my gosh, it worked. Like, yeah. that's exactly what I hoped, yeah, but yeah. I didn't, I just didn't know. And once you're so far into it, you lose even the perspective you had in the initial. Sure. Um, yeah. It wasn't until, actually, it's funny you said it about your wife, because it wasn't until I started reading notes from non-MXPX fans mm. that say they're crying. That was when I finally put my guard down and said, okay, this works. Yep. But anyway, so that's... But also, I, I feel like this video is on track to be easily the most viewed music video because it's been out for three months and it has 747,000 views. Yeah. yeah. With, with, I mean, and the far away music video, I'm just, I was just looking up to see kind of where things. I think it's 640s. It's 643 and it's been up there for six years. Yeah. yeah. And so, that was my first music video. Right. Yeah. It's far away. Um, uh, you know, and, and, I mean, I yeah. will say responsibility has 2.5. 2.9 million. Yeah, so but, it's but, a big era for them. But that was, <laughs> but but also, you're you're already at a quarter of that in a month or three months. You know, so I I'm just I'm uh, I'm not trying to you know you know want you to toot your own horn or anything, <laughs> but or like you know I'm what I'm saying is, um, doing what your first narrative video with no direction <laughs> pretty much uh, very little direction from the team and no this, budget no budget and small budget and, and little time you know you it's just it's it's an amazing feat and i i hope um i you know i hope fans hearing this can can appreciate um can appreciate that yeah, it was a team effort, and it was awesome. I thank you for the record. I, but it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot. Um, I will say, yeah, I've always hoped and dreamed of having like a million view video, and far away is well over that because it was on every outlet. Like it was on over a hundred outlets, and like sure. every Gold's Gym, every Bally Fitness, and like their. <laughs> so like it's been seen around the world. It's on sure. Times Square for like a month, but Whoa. which is crazy. Um, I a fun story. I, I almost had a nervous breakdown actually when that video got released. Like I, I literally almost like flipped because up until that point, I, you know, I'd, I'd see like 200 views on of my something I would do on YouTube, and probably 100 of them were my mom, you know. And you know, when I the first day I released this video, this finally getting to do my first MXPX music video, um, and it goes through the well for me through the roof thousands of views in the first hour and all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh i did this in my basement like i'm gonna be exposed people are gonna think this is horrible and i literally almost had it was that like i almost i couldn't i almost couldn't handle it like i almost freaked out it took me a while to like even get comfortable with people seeing sure. my work because i i went from doing local stuff to working with international artists and so but yeah but but let's ride just going back to that yeah, it's amazing. Like watching. I mean, it's again humbling, humbling, humbling. I, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, when we saw the video, we hadn't heard anything from the new record. We didn't know what to expect. It's an independent release. We didn't know what the video would be like, and I think we were both just kind of like 
blown away by how great the song was and then that the video was at the level that it was i think we were just like oh this album is gonna be like legit this is gonna be and it was a big relief to be honest because we were like oh we're as excited about this as like any previous single or video we've seen well so. and and imagine on my end yeah. knowing that yeah, yeah that people haven't heard anything right, right, right. and this is gonna be it right and i had this untested yeah type thing so i'm like Totally. Either I'm going to be burned alive and everything I've done until this point is going yeah, to mean yeah. nothing or, or it's going to work, you know. There's a very thin line between them, <laughs> between beautiful and cheesy. And right, yeah, sure. I think it was a reintroduction of the band to a lot of people too because, mm-hmm. like, people kind of tuned back in, us included, because of the Kickstarter after being out for a little while. And, yeah, I mean, it was a great reintroduction for a lot of people, I think. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, you've talked a little bit about your process for shooting it um but one thing i was going to mention you know you were talking about how just bands playing can be a great video yeah crack crack one open bro um need another one bro (laughs) yeah dude um but i think you know part of what we talked about when we talked about the doing time video is like we remember the camera moving up and down and i think you do that shit bro. yeah (laughs) i think when the far and away or the far away video that was your first one with them came out. It was like the camera is moving and it just felt different. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's like the band's charisma plays obviously a big role, but the fact that like you are moving the camera in interesting ways, I think also helps make it an interesting video to watch. So I'm glad you actually noticed that because again, going back to Malik and Lubeski, what I said was when I pitched this video, I was like, I'm going to make, um, so I, I'm also a big uh, Cameron Crowe fan, like almost famous. That's my all-time favorite movie. So you know, you're you're like all over the questions, like answering <laughs> yeah. the questions that we're gonna ask. So well, uh, I can go into it a little bit. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I just like <laughs> I'm just glad that we're like on the same page here. That you know, but um, sorry, go ahead. No, no. So I, I basically said I wanted um, the. I wanted the, the storytelling of Cameron Crowe with the narrative visuals of a Malik and Lubeski, except with the punk rock band. Like that, <laughs> that, that and classic it, trope. Yeah, right. So like, I'm like, I don't think, but that's that whole thing where like you can copy because everything is a copy of a copy of a copy, but your own weird sphere of influences creates something new and unique. Sure. And it took me a while to embrace that, but that's kind of what, what Let's Ride is, um, sure. is those things. And that was kind of really the culmination of 10 years of doing this. Because I did do other one other narrative video, which I like, but it's not quite there. And that was for 610, which is Flatfoot 56's folk yeah, band. Yeah, I saw, I, I saw that one. It's for Backpack. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have the camera gear. I didn't have, like, I, lo- I love that video because it's very special to me. But from a technical aspect and even from a storytelling I only thought I got it 80% there from a from a camera gear wanting to accomplish what I really wanted. I was only 50% there because I just I've been beg borrowing and stealing this stuff. I I don't do this again. It hasn't been my professional go-to, so I don't have all the modern gear. Where Let's Ride was kind of a culmination of having the gear at hand that I needed and having the right story to tell because it was my story. I wasn't fabricating something, and then having the right song and the right band. So it really all came together. Yeah. And you didn't, um, I mean, you didn't have much of a crew on that, right? Like, yeah. Um, so the, <laughs> yeah, so I had a couple, we had a couple guys, okay. um, uh, Jake, uh, Trey mm-hmm. and then Greg, 
they were my crew for the the live stuff okay. with the band or the, the the performance portion. But from a crew standpoint, they were only set up of the band. Sure. There was no crew in the sense of actually filming. Um, I had two of my really good friends, Hudson Felsman. Um, it was one of them, and he helped me with some of the narrative. He's a high schooler, so I'm kind of showing him the ropes. Cool. So it's kind of teaching and allowing him to be part of it. But from a traditional crew point standpoint, no, I, 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 I pretty much it was me okay. filming, editing, directing behind the camera. Yeah. But that's how I've done it from day one because it was sure. all me, and I had to learn how to do every part of it. Yeah. Um, Mike asked me an interesting question, which is my favorite. If I had to pick one, if I had a f all the money to do a full-fledged movie, which role would I pick? Mm. And uh, for me, ultimately, it was director of photography. I think having my hands on the camera tangibly is what I what I enjoy doing the most. Um, editing is a, is only because I'm so OCD, I can't trust my stuff to somebody else because yeah. I just don't know anybody else in the scene doing it. Sure. But uh, it's the probably the big the part I despise the most. That would make sense. That seems maddening to it's me. It's also very like lonely. Sure. So you know, Jared in his podcast mentioned something. He's like. People see a successful person doing something, I'm quote unquote successful, but they don't see the, like, the back end stuff. So yes, I've got to do some really cool stuff and tour with bands and be with my heroes and be the face of that in video, but I've spent years in my basement up till 4 a.m. editing by myself, not going out with friends, not doing other things to make that happen. Yeah. You know, so... The time is definitely there. It's not as glorious as it looks. It's sure. very lonely actually doing yeah. it, you know? Yeah, you, um, I mean, you did the videos for plans, and I think, like, we were saying Far Away feels different because it's, you know, there's an energy to it. The camera's moving around, but it's the band playing. But then Aces Up in particular was kind of like, you hadn't seen a lot of videos like that. And when we were going through... <laughs> The records and we got to that video i was like oh this is like a, a really legit video like projecting onto buildings as you move doesn't <laughs> sound like an easy thing to do uh, but it, but it also again um had a throwback feel that i haven't really seen in an mxpx um video since move to bremerton where just goofing around, just go guys goofing around, pushing each other in shopping carts, running around, and you know John and I sort of poked fun a little bit at the you know they're running across rooftops and yeah. stuff like that. And they're like late thirties. <laughs> I was just saying I'm too old to uh, run around on a rooftop. That was that was so my idea for the record. I'll I'll, I'll uh, shield them. That was my I idea. It. I love it. it no, felt but so it good just, to see them do that. But what I'm saying is because of that. It, it did have this like, I feel like you're bringing this through line from the past to the present with, because I don't know, maybe subconsciously, maybe it's consciously because of the, your MXPX fandom of your youth that you're like bringing these influences of the past into kind of your work. But at least, I don't know, that's, that's how I'm, I see it. Cause like, I don't know, I, I, I think about like some of those early punk rock videos, early band stuff. It's like, like okay, what do we want to do? I don't know. Do you like want to like walk around a street? And like that's kind of like what so many early punk rock videos are—just the band playing or like you know putzing around. And and it's, I don't know. I I 
I personally like um, just a straight ahead, like, I like a narrative if it's done well. Uh, Let's Ride, nailed it. Um, but Uptown Streets, just the band playing. Solid ass song, solid ass music video. And it's not like a, it's a, it's a no frills kind of thing. They're just, they're rocking out. Yeah, I wanted a great. video that would kick you in the teeth yeah. and leave you bloody, and that was literally all it did, and it was fun. Yeah, you know. But no, it's uh, great. I, I'm glad that you caught that. It's very intentional, actually. I always said for for far away, I want this to be my homage to doing time, because I was the fan. I was the guy that loved this. Uh, for and you said move to Bremerton. That was my throwback. That was my yeah. callback to that. And it was it was like that. It was designed that way from the beginning. I've always said that I think what makes me again quote unquote successful in a not arrogant way sure. is that this all guy I is kind of fucking arrogant. Listen, <laughs> hey man, it's you know? I'm super successful. <laughs> I I think that all I do all I, my my secret to my success is I've just taken everything that I selfishly want to sure. see, yeah. and I literally just do that. That's yeah. If you if you want to know my whole thought process and my approach to what I do, it's that. What would I have wanted to see? Far away, I love doing time. I'm like, let's do a cool black and white. You know, fun fact about that: that was filmed in two different portions. Okay. We felt they had they had tracked the song, but they had not finished writing the lyrics when we shot that music video. Okay. If you want to like the chaos and the stuff that you like, what it takes to pull off these videos and like the situations that I've had to pull them out of my butt. Um, so that video. We were in we were in Seattle for the Second Life in General show. I said, Mike, do you have anything? Let's just film something. If you're doing this album, if you've got it tracked, if the drums are there and locked in, then that's all we need because that's what it all is based off of. Let's let's film a music video for a song. He's like, yeah, well, we have it tracked. We just the lyrics aren't done. So if you notice, he never sings. In, when they're all in the live room. Okay. Interesting. Because right. we filmed that whole video before the song was even finished. Right. Amazing. And I only had like a little bit of time. So we did that in like five takes. Okay. That's it. That's impressive. And then I essentially remotely had him set up cameras and film himself from multiple angles where he has a beard. Yeah. Doing the actual portion yeah, in the studio. Yeah. Okay. And then combined it. So that's how that video came about. That's cool. But then with... with um, with Aces Up, it was very interesting because he calls me. He's like, hey, I'm just trying to figure out like a, what's a cost effective but really high impact, so low, you know, just what's high impact but low production, what can we do? And I'm like, well, I thought about it. I'm like, well, I, I always had this cool idea of projecting up on the side of buildings. Yeah. And I'm like, if that technically wouldn't cost us anything. And I was like, but uh, you can do that, you know. I can hook you up and tell you what you need to do to film it. And he goes... Cool. Tom's leaving for for um, Japan on Sunday. We can fry, fly you in on Sat or on Friday, and we'll film it. And I'm like, this week? I mean, that was literally a Monday. He calls me and asks me what I would do if I did another video. But I didn't think he was asking me to do it just to help him brainstorm. Uh-huh. And on Friday, I got out there, filmed all the stuff, flew in, filmed all the stuff in front of a black screen that would be projected up. Then went out and filmed that that night. I thought we were getting arrested filming into people's windows. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. It was the most bonkers thing ever because he had this $10,000 projector in the back of a van. Right. 
when we, we learned we can't just turn the thing on and off because it takes so long to spool up. So we had a sure. black cloth and someone laying across it, like uncovering and covering it. We had a per- that put to a laptop in the middle trying to find, and I had to keep track of all the stuff I had shot, where it was, which takes it was, and then which that we were able to project up on the wall and which stuff we still needed to project and capture, but in different enough walls that it all made sense. <laughs> yeah. And they're on the computer in the middle seat doing that. Someone's driving, then they have to get the, like, the, the distance right because it's out of focus. And then I'm in the passenger yeah. seat trying to direct it and trying to hold the camera still as it's shaking around and bouncing. Like it was, and we're out till like three, four a.m. doing this. And sure. again, I thought we were gonna get arrested. Uh-huh. The, there's a couple scenes in there, and I saw this on Mike's podcast, uh, where the only thing is that they're the mouse cursor. They didn't move it off the screen, uh-huh. so there's like get it back in post production, and there's this giant mouse cursor blown up. Uh-huh. And there's about two shots I had to use. Sure. Um, and then the next day, we literally got like two hours of sleep. We drove into Seattle, and we did the. The stuff where we ran around the city, okay. and it was so. I mean, I was I could barely hold my head up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd been working all week, so. Um, and then we ended up flying out to New York. I'm like, you know, I just I don't have a good solid ending. I liked it. I actually came up with this. I don't I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. Do you, I don't know if you want exclusive. I came up with a very <laughs> dark storyline okay. for that or, video, for in our brainstorming. Up? Yeah, it's really dark. Let's hear it. Mike's like, let's just have a session, brainstorming session. Like, let's just get everything out there. So it started as that. Man, I forgot all about this. This is real dark. <laughs> let's hear it. I'm actually it. kind of bummed we didn't do it. I love the video, but I'm glad we... Was it stop motion? No, the blob <laughs> comes in and eats them. No, I'm like, okay, so you're around there. It's a total throwback. And I even said, I want to do a, a life in general throwback like I did with Far Away. And I was like, but what happens if about the time that I cut to the New York live stuff, right? that you guys, like, why are they just running around the city having fun? Well, like, they're in their car, right? They pull up. They all of a sudden, like, Yuri or Tom opens up the glove box, and he pulls out ski masks. <laughs> and they literally, and there's a guy, that we had a friend that owned a jewelry store. And they pull out guns. And they literally, and I want it on like a gimbal and like uh-huh. slow motion. Them literally just bust into this jewelry store and like start like just kicking people in the face and like grabbing stuff and literally grab a guy uh-huh. with a gun to his head and take him out. I'm not kidding. This is literally what Mike and I talked about. Okay. And I take him out and he just throws him in the trunk. They all jump in, they take off and they get out of there, right? And like the final end of the video, and I was like very Tarantino style, <laughs> like you see um, Tom and Yuri, and they're up on like this hill, and it's kind of a sunset, so very golden, like very yeah. Malick, uh-huh. very that, that golden, golden hour. hour. Yeah. Uh, and they're, both of them are sitting on the hood of the car against the window, like counting the money and like going through the <laughs> stuff. And Mike gets out and walks out of the car, walks around to the back, pops the trunk. And you have this huge wide shot of Seattle in the background, them on a hill, the sun setting. So they're silhouetted. And and he just, and then he the hood pops like and he just holds a gun. Tarantino style. Yeah, but a big, wide, perfectly uh-huh. like fit, like angled on him and then just pop. And then like <laughs> it goes black and he That's just amazing. kills the... the <laughs> So like, I mean, life I, doesn't I, always give you aces, you know. And and that's the shot. end of it. And it just and <laughs> so, I pitch it just like that. I'm like, 
I'm excited because I'm like, this would be rad. And this would make every blog website that MXPX yeah. did this video. Christian punk band murders and, jeweler. And Mike just goes, <laughs> Mike, I just, there's silence on the other end of the line. He goes, wow. <laughs> and he goes, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it. Uh-huh. But I feel like we probably shouldn't. I'm like, I know, but. Darn it, I really want to do that video. I mean, so next, anyway. next album, I think it's time. <laughs> like, the dudes hit their mid-40s, they're getting, you know, a little more desperate to make ends meet. <laughs> exactly. I just thought I was, you know, I don't know. It's such a dark, twisted, no, alternate reality well, move to Bremerton. I think, I think if, uh, you know, the only, uh, if, if I may give a note, yeah. um, the only thing I would change would be to make Yuri be the gunman, yeah, the, the guy that caps him, <laughs> yeah, have yeah, Yuri ha, sure. because I mean that's that's something that that they joked about in the both ends burning is yes. that Yuri goes out around killing hookers and homeless people, <laughs> that's right? So like, why not just lean into Yuri being the madman and and he's he's the brain behind the operation. You, it could why it could it could be like a usual suspects thing that after twenty some years people it was like always oh, Yuri. It was Yuri the whole time. Show a coffee mug falling to the floor. You know, you guys remember uh, my film better than I do. Actually, I need to go back and actually watch it. No, I, what, to, to answer your question about subtlety and how much do I show in a narrative? See, I didn't show the brains coming out of the head, right? Sure, so, sure. in that point, I felt the the pop and the the, the black was enough subtlety in my visuals. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. to go back—that's amazing. <laughs> All right, so that's that's uh, Aces Up. So, yeah. and we we ended up filming in, but what was cool is we filmed the the end of it. I we. I ended up saving the video, not feeling like I had a strong enough ending. And then I felt like doing it on both coasts and doing it in New York would be a really cool kind of like coast to coast vibe. Mm-hmm. But the intentionality behind the throwback mm-hmm. was all day long. I was wondering if people actually caught up on it. I never talked to people about this stuff. Like yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I talked to the band. I don't have a lot of interaction with the fan portion. So yes, I don't know. For cool. me, like a shot of MXPX on a ferry in like – what else could it be? Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, it's it makes the most sense to me. Yeah. So I I mean well, I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> awesome. Well, being there and filming in those same spots was I mean again, what would I want to do and see as right, a fan? Right, I'm right. the one that's there getting to film on the ferry, so I'm the one that's really lucky, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After that, we did um, stand your feet. Hmm. So. Mike and I, Mike would fly me out a lot, and he still does, uh, to just film, uh, to capture. And a lot of that's like, hey, let's hang out. What do, let's have an excuse to hang out. Okay, come out and film. And this was even before they were doing a lot of the social media stuff. And really, it was just for archive. Like, let's get this stuff while you're here and around and, yeah. and why you're wanting to do it. We've never had that before. So Mike said, hey, let's, you know, a lot of times went by, let's throw something out for fans that they might like. You want to do a lyric video. And by the way, he let me pick all three songs. So the the singles, as you were, I right. got to pick, which oh, was cool. really, really awesome. And we went back and forth. And I'm just like, no, let's go all the way to the wall with it. We're not trying to make radio. Let's just go with the faster songs. Um, so I, Stand Your Feet was like from day one a, a favorite of mine. So I was really uh, wanting that. So I said, let's do that. Great. I said, I think I have enough archive footage that nobody's seen yet that I can put together something cool and I've always again I love old film so I, I had kind of a honey hole of of b-roll that was um in public domain 
And I was like, man, I think I got something for you. Just I'm going to kind of mix this you and play in this old and new. And I think it just fits the lyrics so well. And uh, again, it was kind of one of those, I came back with that and he's just like, perfect. Cool. You know, so, but I didn't have to go out and film, but I had been filming in between those for so long that I just took from all these different ones. The only bad thing was at the time he was no longer, he was sponsored by a different amp company mm -hmm. and we forgot to tape the amp. The, mm -hmm. the logo on the uh, amp, so I had to blur out. So if uh, you go back and look at that video, every shot with his amp is blurred. I had to keyframe it because that's how you had to do yeah, it back yeah. then. So anyway, so those are the plans within plans videos. That's cool. I mean, you know, you were talking about how you didn't have the lyrics yet when you did um, Far Away, but then weren't you also saying you co-directed the way we do and didn't you shoot that one before you'd even heard the song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, Again, I had done a lot of pre-production on Let's Ride. Or, yeah, Let's Ride. I had to because of the narrative portion. So I'm trying to script out all this. The last thing that I needed to worry about was Mike was scouting locations. He was sending me pictures of places, and that's really all I had to go on. So we had a backup place if it was going to rain, which was Jake's garage, which is where we shot Uptown Streets. So you didn't, you weren't just going to like ride on through the rain? We were not, not with my camera gear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we, we uh, but that's why that location exists, was the backup spot for Let's Ride. Um, cool. And thankfully the rain held off long enough that we could do it at the spot. Um, so we got there, and I always said to Mike, he had me for 24 hours because of just my schedule and everything else and his schedule. So I flew out, got in on Friday night, hung out with him. I'm like, I got to go to bed because if we're going to do this. I said, but think about it, some extra songs. Maybe we get one, maybe two, so three videos total. Mm -hmm. But since I'm here, even though we don't know what we're going to do with them, at the time, there was no plans to release a, a video for every song. I was just like, let's just get as much as we can on one plane ticket. Mm -hmm. Um and I'll go until I fall over. And so we got up, and Let's Ride just came together so beautifully. Like I, We had some problems at first because it was my first time I was going to a mirrorless camera system, so I'm Canon, but I switched to a Sony mirrorless system. for It was an A7S II. Um, and so we had stuff on the sensor, and I never dealt with that. So there was a little bit of hiccups, but it just all came together really beautifully. I knew I, what I shot was exactly what I needed. Um, and... Uh, we were done by, I think, 11 filming. Um, and that's one of the, again, I go back to the, being a documentary filmmaker, I think has really helped me because it makes me work really fast. I don't mm -hmm. worry about setups. I know what I, I know my gear. I know what I can do with it. And I can do it very quickly. So it's, and it, for doing things low budget, it's also really helped me. Um, so from there, I'm like, cool, this is in the bag. Let's go to location number two, the backup location for Let's Ride. And I'd only seen one picture of it. So I'm like, what's the next song? And I, at that point, I hadn't even heard Uptown Streets. Okay. And Mike's like, well, let's listen to it. So in the car, it was just him and I. We listened to Uptown Streets three times on the way over. I said, cool, I think I got it. I like the vibe of it. Walked in. Again, documentary work, you got to handle light really quick. And that's a hard thing because it's coming in on the side. So, But the Sony has such a better sensor, it handles it better. So I took 10 minutes to figure out how I wanted to set it up. We put some lights behind me. I said, all right, let's do it. And that video just came right together. I mean, for every take, I'm like, I got exactly what I need. This video is going to be great. Yeah. Um, it was just organic. The band was in it. Um, and then I'm like, well, where else do you want to shoot? 
Let's go back to the studio. What other songs you got for me? We always knew I wanted to do moments, right? It was going to be a lyric video with no performance in it. And I'm like, let's do a performance piece and then cut back and forth. And it was, again, still going to be lyrics, but we didn't know what else we were going to do. Actually, at the time, it was going to be just straight band performance and just lyrics over it with nothing else. So we filmed Moments, and I knew that one. And, <laughs> and he's like, well, I got another song if you want to do it. We haven't done anything upstairs yet. And I was like, you've got six takes. Because at that point, I'd filmed three music videos, and I'm using a whole gimbal rig system, and I've yeah. got a monitor on it. You can probably see in some of the, like, the, the shots I've posted, the behind-the-scenes shots of me holding it. That thing is heavy, man. I've had this thing above my head. Yeah. I'm literally running around all day. So I told him, I'm like, you have literally six takes because I got nothing left in the tank after that. So and I'm sweating out. I'm just so. Um, but yeah, to answer your original question, we didn't have time to listen to the song because we just had to get up there and do it because Chris Atkins was going to play an acoustic show. and We were going to go hang out at a bar after that. Um, so the way the video works for anybody that's interested in the technical side, really all you got to get is the drummer is the only person that has to be listening to the song because the drums are the thing that lock it in. And as long as the singer can sing in the same cadence, all they do is just play to the drum track. You can easily fudge guitars and stuff like that. As long as the drummer's on, then the video is going to line up. So they all had headphones. If you go back and watch, they're all listening to their monitors. None of those videos have any instruments playing. All the, they're, they're all just playing, knowing the drum track. Mm -hmm. We can't hear anything. If you go back and listen, it's boom, 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 and you ting, 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 ting. That's it. But those guys all had their, those on, and I didn't even know the song at the time, and it was so echoey in that room. Yeah, I'm like, let's just film it. I don't know what I'm filming. I don't have time to film. I don't, frankly don't care, because if this doesn't even work, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. And we filmed six takes, and I didn't even look at it. I never even went back and looked at it. Um, and then when I found out, so I'm obviously trying to pump out these videos around a job and my wife's getting ready to have our baby. And, um, and then the, the thing was, we're like, hey, we're just going to drop all these videos on the same day. We weren't sure. It was this back and forth and what was going to be the best thing. And I'm like, and that was a week before. And I'm like, I still have two videos that I haven't even touched yet. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was behind. I was having, a, they knew. Right. They, they weren't even expecting me to get Uptown Streets done when I got it done. Uh, so I'm like, I don't want to give up moments. I feel like I can do moments in a week without my wife shooting me because we have a crying newborn baby, sure. everything else. Um, but I can't do the way we do. Like I shot it and then, so we handed that one off and, um, and he, so I, you know, did a kind of a co-director thing with it and which I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that he picked it up and took it. Um, but yeah, so that's, so yeah, I didn't actually, I, I had no clue what I was shooting. I just heard boom, 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 boom. And I'm, I'm literally just aiming the camera. I'm like, well, he's singing now, so right, I should yeah, probably yeah. look at him. But that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was probably one of the more crazy ones. But again, <laughs> if you look back, I've, I've kind of had that experience, you know, all the way through. Sure. So yeah, yeah. What about, um, what about going through old footage for moments like this? I mean, how, mm. how much of a project was that? <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit guarded on this, but I have lots and lots and lots and lots of footage. Sure. Stuff that, again, it's the stuff that you dream of. Like, right, I when I saw, um, geez, what's the cassette tape? The VHS tape, the uh, documentary. It came from Bremerton. It came from Bremerton. I waited and waited and waited. I got that thing. I'm like, man, what about the extra footage? Yeah. I have 
I have everything. All right. All right. Sweet. And I'm not going to say anything more about it, except that I have I have a lot <laughs> I have a lot of stuff. Sure. Um, and it was it was fun, you know. Ho- you know, then you know, talking to Holly and talking to Mike. And I said this to Mike, but that video, like, I've made I've made videos that are like, this is my homage to the band. This is my thank you to them. I have made now videos for fans going, I respect you guys as fans for sticking with this band and supporting them. But Moments was really about like my like, hey, this is for Holly and this is for Sailor and Rhodes. And in, and then in some ways my wife and my kids as well. But that was for them, you know. It was fun to get to see that, to have that intimate footage. Um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And then, you know, the baby was born my baby. Yeah. Uh, so we literally. So I'm in the video. Um, okay. And my 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 son is only 20 minutes old, and I had my mom film it. I mean, nobody. The family hadn't seen the baby yet. Nobody. It was my mom was in the delivery room with us, and the the the, the nurses had just put Davison down and kind of cleared out. And and I'm like, mom, we got to do this. And thankfully, Amy was like, I had told her I'd like to do it if she was okay with it, and she gave me the nod that. Yeah, okay. And we did it like six times. I kept, I'm like, Mom, it really is. <laughs> Not like this. And I'm like coaching her. She's uh-huh. like, this. So Don't thankfully. you know who Malik is? I know. Like, thankfully, Amy and my the mom were okay. The golden hour light but is not <laughs> Exactly. The, the, yeah. So anyway, that, so it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And actually, I'm in the video twice. Okay. Uh, so Davison is named after my grandparents, um, their, their last name. So my mom's maiden name. And, uh, the Disney World scene is actually me, my sisters, my dad. I was wondering who that was. Yeah, so that's me uh, okay. at Disney World. And again, as a throwback to my family, yeah. and that's where I grew up, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. And then my mom's filming. But it's that's who Nate Davison is named after. So, um, cool. yeah, it's a really special, intimate thing for us. And I, we put it together in a week. Um, obviously, the band stuff was pretty easy. Though. Then it was just a matter of picking out which stuff from the hundreds of hours of footage sure. made sense but it, it came together pretty quick and knowing who i wanted to honor i wasn't sure you know if mike i'm like do you even want me in the video like originally there was supposed it wasn't supposed to be so focused on them i just found so much good footage there's going to be b-roll from other places and so it became this very intimate portrait but it didn't start out like that and i'm like well i have my stuff in there and i filmed it for this but if you're you know if this is an mxpx video I'm good with taking it out because people aren't going to want to see me in the video. He's like, no, man, this is this is an intimate thing with telling the family and friends. So mm-hmm. absolutely. So I was that was encouraging that he wanted that in there. You know, it's I don't know if this makes sense, um, but it, it, maybe this is just um, a testament to you as a filmmaker. But I weirdly felt like. I was watching things that I was a part of, even though I wasn't there. Like, it felt like I was watching my own home movies about something that, like, I was, like, seeing these old, this old footage of the band being like, that made me feel nostalgic for a time that I was never a part of. If I don't know if that even makes sense. It does, yeah, and that's awesome. That's That was my hope, because... I spent a lot of time analyzing and agonizing over these these perfect clips because it's random, right? It's just these random shots. 
but I wanted to give it just a little bit of like home movie, but this familiarity. So I intentionally picked out these spots hoping to bring people in. Again, I think one of the sweetest feedback of that video is Holly texting me and just saying like, she's like, I told Mike, wow, Brian just cut open your head and dumped out your whole life in front of you. How does that feel like mm -hmm. to have that? He's like, man, I know. I didn't even think about it like that, but you're right. you know. Yeah. And I wanted to make it very intimate. And it, in the same way that I gave the band an intimate portrait of what their fans went through their whole life growing up because the band didn't get to see that. I mm. got to see that, but the band didn't. Yeah. Right. yeah. But I wanted to give people the reverse of that and allow people to see this different side of the band, you know, that right. they even that they didn't even maybe get from the documentary side. So, yeah, and that's cool to hear that it landed in that way. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I Oh, I... Andrew has lots more. Why are you? Ra why are you like doing the wrap-up voice? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, shoot, you got me here. Okay, um, so I want to go back to Let's Ride for a bit um, because I was able to go to the Dagger, yes, da uh, Dagger, Dagger Mountain. Mountain. Yep, coffee in. Valparaiso today. I got to spend some time there, um, which was featured prominently in the Let's Ride music video. Um, got to try some of their very delicious coffee, and I forgot stupidly to buy a bag on the way out um, because it's it was very good. Um, but so... <laughs> One of the things that I, you, when you had given us directions to the spot, you're like, you know, it's easy to miss. It's in this kind of warehouse district. You're not lost. It's, and I, I was like, I was looking for something that I was like, this isn't remind me of the music video. And then like I walked in and I was like, holy shit, this place is so small. Um, <laughs> and you However you framed it, however you did it, um, you ac accomplished a feat. And I'm like, it looked so much bigger in the music video than all the different angles. You accomplished something like how, how does, is that just the, the magic of filmmaking? How did you, how did you film that in a way that made that space work? Because it's. It's three tables, and and you can. I was trying to take pictures, uh, which I'll post on Instagram of just some of the. But trying to recreate some, I'm like I couldn't even do it because you probably had some tricks up your sleeve. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, going to another MXPX situation when I was in Vegas. Uh, um, James Barrett, uh, Leprechano. Uh, again, he's one of my just dearest friends in the MXPX world and in, in life in general he is. But uh, we were out and uh, we wanted to go see the Pawn Stars. Pawn Store, right? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was right when that show was big. Uh -huh, and we sure. went out there and that is the smallest place in the world. Like you, There's nothing, like no room. And so I had that same experience there. Sure. Um, so to answer your question, well, I, I, can, I can empathize with you. Um, from a technical standpoint, I shot the entire video on an 18 millimeter lens. Um, so that's a very wide, wide lens, Okay. Uh, essentially. So it makes things look bigger. You know, I was telling you on my Instagram, 
none of those are with a DSLR. Everything's with an iPhone. And by the way, that's just my own, like, I do that intentionally because for framing, uh, for photography, is very much, it keeps me sharp. I want to be able to walk in and I want to be able to creatively capture that space. And doing it with a phone keeps me sharp. I can go into anywhere, pull my phone out, and go, how would I shoot this room that's different? So it's my own little like skill challenge. And I just kind of take my best of those, and I throw them up on Instagram. But they're all taken with an iPhone. But I want you to think that they're not, because that's the whole point of it. I want to create something that's good enough that would to make you assume it's not. And that's why you, the whole idea that you need gear or anything else is entirely right. false. It helps you, but I did documentaries the mxpx documentary everything else we've i did the 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 music videos the plans within plans on a 60d canon which is a crop sensor thing it's up on times square and i I shot the thing on a crop sensor prosumer camera Uh and did in my basement so you don't need gear you just got to be creative to work around and maximize your gear um but going back um so it's a very wide lens and again i keep going back to the whole documentary background working with light, knowing how your light is, knowing your space. You just have to be able to go in and very quickly work with the space. Uh, the Dagger crew, I met them when I when I went and pitched it. It's funny, I walked in, and I don't ever like saying what band, because half the time you say what band you're working with, they're like, I don't know who that is. And you're like saying it like you assume they do, and then you feel right. stupid. So I don't <laughs> do that anymore. Um, so I'm just like, and it shouldn't matter, right? So if they were going to let me shoot a music video in there, does it matter who it's for? Like, they're either nice guys or they're not. So I went in, I'm like, hey, I've, everyone told me about this place. I'm coming in. Weird question, but can I shoot a music video? Just like, it would be really quick. I won't mess up your business or in time. Or, and they're like, oh, yeah. And just from, there was never a question. It was like, yeah. They were so nice. Anthony and um, and then Dan is, yeah. is the owner. And then Anthony's in the video. He's the, the guy serving the girl. And then Charlie was also there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elena, who you didn't meet, she was she was up there as well. So they're like, yeah. And uh, so we're talking. I'm like, well, it's going to be the scene. And these guys, he's going to meet this girl who's eventually going to become his wife. And I'm trying to explain this concept. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, we trust you. And, um, and I'm like, cool, okay, well, I won't need it for more than an hour. Again, I shoot very fast. And... Uh, like cool. I'm like, do, so do we know the band? I'm like, oh, it's a it's a punk band called MXPX. And they go the punk. Or, no, I said it's a band called MXPX. And they go the punk band MXPX. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And like, dude, we grew up listening to them. And then, nice. um, well, this was really cool. This kind of how one of those fortuitous I knew that I had picked the right spot. Other than them just being the most genuine nice guys, I wanted to have someplace local to promote local stuff. And again, I'm from Indiana, so I wanted to show that. Um, and something you couldn't get anywhere else. Um, then it was just more awesome that they were so wonderful and I can really, and they've had people, they text me all the time like, oh, more people that from who knows where they came in because they saw That's in the cool. next video. Um, but Elena comes over, she's making her coffee and like listening but not talking out of earshot. She comes over and she goes, did you say MXPX? I said, yeah. She goes, they were like my all-time favorite band. Like my, I had my mom sew a patch on my bag and I'm like, you serious? I'm like, that's literally the storyline is this patch moving through this kid's life and all the way to the baby's room. So it was just one of those really like, yes, this is where I need to be doing it. Yeah. These are the people I need to be doing it with. So, um, but yeah, it, so it was just a matter of trying to figure out the angles and what worked and what didn't work. I, I kind of relate a good scene. This goes back to your storytelling. 
to a, to a good song, to a good rock-based guitar song. So good songs, the ones that stand the test of time, no matter how many instruments or anything they have in it, um, like Dream On, for example, right? I mean, I know that was, uh, or it has, you know, violins, has strings, has all this stuff. But if you pull out an acoustic guitar and have Steven Tyler on an acoustic guitar, it's still going to be incredible because the song is incredible. Right. And you have to take a scene and do the same thing. Especially when you don't know how much time realistically is going to work or not work to tell a story. So I filmed more segments of that portion. In every portion, I have more segments to build out that story. But I had to say, okay, economy-wise, what can I remove? And how many of these can I remove and still tell that story? And so you, I had to be able to do it and do it quick enough and thorough enough that if I needed it longer, I can do it longer but I can still cut it all the way down to just like two shots or three shots and still get the message across on economy filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that takes a lot of like pre whatever. So I just kind of walk in and I just start thinking like my eyes are, I know that sounds weird, but I think in, in shutter speed and, and, <laughs> and aperture and, and ISO, you know? So anyway, but yeah, I do know what you mean by that. Like kind of shock of like, this is different than what I, Right. Expected, um, and so hopefully I, that was not too heady. I'm sorry. Well, that was good. <laughs> no, it's the best. So uh, I had some time to talk with Dan and Charlie today, and they had nothing but nice things to say about Brian. They said he's the nicest guy in the world, um, <laughs> and so I think actually. Um, uh, I'm now might be a good time for me to just drop in the conversation that I recorded with uh, Dan and Charlie. We we spoke, you know, for maybe like six or seven minutes, and I got to hear some of their um, thoughts on MXPX and and being involved in the music video. So I'm just gonna drop that in right here. Your name is Dan, right? And this is, you're the owner of? Uh, I'm half, half of the owner, yeah. Okay. So, Ashton is the other owner. She's okay. going through an interview cool. at the moment, too. Um, so you were just saying um, about growing up listening to them and and being, being able to be a part of this um, kind of... New thing that they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... It, it's one. It's cool to see that they're they're still doing like they've always done. It's great. Right. And then, um, but one of the coolest parts is just seeing people come in and being able to talk to MXPX fans, like people with tattoos. Yeah. And we've like shared some like goodies that MXPX gave to us, so we'll give them to them. And nice. It's just it's just kind of a cool thing, a little community that of people switched on in this certain way, like can have a piece of. And even from my understanding from um, how Brian had the, had the video was that um, kind of almost mirrored what happened in the music video was that, you know, this in the music video, somebody sees the girl with the MXPX shirt on. And, and I think he said that maybe even um, 
he he came in here and was asking about pitching the idea of doing the video, and somebody was like, well, the MXPX, and <laughs> and so this sort of like this band kind of this idea of the band bringing people together, and that's kind of what we've we've found with doing this experiment is that the community is of of MXPX fans is really open, just as open as the the guys are, and. Um, so I think it's cool that you know that you are a little bit of a part of that, and you're part of that. I don't know. If, do you have you had anybody come in to who's like seen the video or is like, oh, I saw you in that thing? Or? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk. Well, first I think that's really well put, and yeah. I, I agree with you. But um, but yeah, we've had all sorts of weird stuff like people who were a part of our beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they moved away or X, Y, Z. They're not here anymore. And they get to see that video and be like, shit, I know that place. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, some some people who have followed MXPX this whole time and then spent one second here on their road trip to California or whatever, sure. you know, get to, like, pop in and they're like, I've been to that place, you know. Like, so there's a lot of cool stuff like that, for sure. Um, so, and, Charlie, you, you said you were here... Um, it's Charlie, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you were here part of the day. Um, what What did you... Were you just sort of kind of observing what was going on? or? Uh, yeah, I was supposed to see why Anthony's the more attractive once they put him in the video, of course. But, uh, I'm, I'm sure that's not how they they pitched anything. No. But yeah, I was mostly just kind of making sure other people were getting their drinks and stuff like that. Okay. But it, it was really neat to see. I mean, Brian works like really quickly. Like it wasn't an interruption at all, which was really impressive. Yeah. From our some of our conversations that we've had with him, he has worked. He works extremely efficiently and fast. So you, but you're like nothing was really interrupted. He just no, kind of came in he and came like in, he kind of like tossed his rig on that back table. Yeah, and then they were filming, and it was really like there was nothing going on. Like with other customers, they kind of came in and ordered. And I think he didn't mind it because it added to like feeling like a real coffee shop for his video. So so was that was that sort of garage part open mm-hmm. to, yeah. to film? Because I was yeah. thinking because like in the video it's sort of like. Yeah, and he, he did, for us, you know, he did a really good job of representing, um, like, he didn't, like, keep our name out of it, he didn't, like, steal any, like, credits or anything, like, he was just very transparent, which is just, it is nice. Yeah. He didn't have to do that, but he he wanted to. Yeah. Um, so it was really sweet of him. Yeah, and... I would love to see him, like, on a bad day, because <laughs> he's so nice. Yeah. I, I would I, love to see him just so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your your experience then with the band? Since you said you grew up listening to them, oh like, sure. Um, what was like? What was your What was your first record? Uh, I don't. I, uh, full disclosure, I probably stole it off of like Kaza or like Morpheus or something. Um, let the record show. We have a pirate. We'll be we'll be sending yeah. this to the authorities. Yeah. So um, they were also on. I think like Dave Mira or something like that. Do you know the uh, like the, 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 vi- the video game? They were they had a they had a handful of songs. I do remember on on some of uh, various video games, various yeah. video games. So yeah, that's probably where I got exposed. And then like, um, 
I don't know, just everyone listened to them. It was just one of those staples. Yeah. Was it, um, did you, one of the things that we cover our, in our podcast is um, the sort of the niche Christian music scene. Mm-hmm. Was that was that part of your ex- the exposure uh, at all or part of any of your? Maybe, I don't know. It's hard to say just because I do think they're one of those bands that's just, they've just you always had a little been crossover. There. And, um, and yeah, so I, maybe, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to thank the folks at Dagger for taking what little time, you know, just to talk with some random dude coming in <laughs> talking about MXPX. They were really... They were really cool. Those guys are the best. I, I love them. Yeah, and next time, you know, uh, I either I'm down here, you come through Chicago, I might need you to pick me up a bag of coffee. Happy to do it. They <laughs> live. I live a mile from them, so that's nice to have them be my local coffee yeah. shop. So happy to do it. So we are a, a culture, religion, and politics podcast and we don't need to get too deep into the politics stuff um but i just wanted to this is a sort of a general um uh, question but you know in doing my research i listened to that old episode you did with mike like five (laughs) years ago yeah um and you know, one of the things that you you said um, was that sometimes people have a hard time putting their friendships above political ideologies, and um, that it's like just because you disagree with someone politically, that doesn't mean you can't be you can't be friends. Um, and like that was five years ago. Now it seems like things are even more divisive now than they were even during Obama's administration. Um, so, and like, especially like now today when like Obama and Hillary and are getting bombs shipped to them, you know, it just seems like things are getting more and more and more insane. Like what? And um, it just seems like this is an unfair question to ask, but like, what what how do we do this how do we navigate relationships when politics it seems like are becoming a sticking point for for both sides where it's like uh somebody's like i can't like there's there's i mean there's the extremes on either end the people that like who are like i don't care about politics and then sending bombs through the mail to obama you know, but like for people who are like trying to just navigate the world and and have when they feel like things are, you know, deal breakers. How do we how do we do this? Yeah, I think um, I think something in the the word in your question is is technically the problem, and I think the 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 word is we. Um, so yeah, it's it's funny. I, I haven't I have to go back and listen to that. I was out shooting a political documentary, two political documentaries, which actually ended up uh, 
one of them was in every is is now I'm not even I'm not going to mention titles or anything else because frankly I don't want to, but one of them uh, that I was working on is now in the top ten political documentaries of all time, highest grossing films. Oh. So I was in every theater in the country. Uh, the other one um, did kind of a a short run, but it was in over half the theaters in the country, and I was the lead director of photography on that. Um, and I was in D.C. during the government shutdown. I was in some crazy places with a camera on my shoulder while some crazy things were happening. And I'm like, I don't know how I got here, uh, frankly. Um, but it was it was good from, from a developmental standpoint, but it was also very interesting from a, you know, what I said in the podcast. I was with some people that had some very extreme beliefs about it. Um, I felt the the politics that the film was was handling was <clears throat> bipartisan enough that uh, putting my name on that specific thing, which you can't even search it because it all kind of crumbled and fell apart. So my name isn't even attached to any of it anyway, which is why I'm not going to mention it. But um, I felt that it was bipartisan enough that if I put my name on it, that it wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to tie myself one way or another sure. to anything. Now, that isn't to say that I'm ashamed or have any issues with anything that I believe or anything else. But like you said, um, what, what I said <laughs> back then, which is it's very interesting to me and always has been that um, I can be friends with people that have very different beliefs, but um, that isn't often the other way. And like you said, that's even more so now. <clears throat> so to answer that question, and that was just I wanted to give background of what I was doing and why where I was at. So I was in a very politically charged situation more than I've ever found myself in my life. Um, I think that you know I don't I don't mind saying this. It's not something I wear on my sleeve like a name tag because I don't think it has to be, but um, ironic I mean I went through some really hard times but I found myself really redrawn to um, to God who I totally believe in. Um, and I think that uh, you know, he's kind of come after me and and grabbed me in a very real way and, and a, much more real than even when I was growing up. And I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for even the hard times where I had to go through times of questioning. Um, I don't say that as an elitist. I don't say that as, uh, um, yeah, I don't say it for any, any reason other than we're talking about religion and it's mm-hmm. obviously you know, my background, um, and I yeah. found myself in a very long term, and that's where I find myself now. Um, so the question then becomes, how do we navigate? But when I say the problem is that we, so we're all so concerned about going, maybe I should just reference myself. I think that's the, the most fair way. I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody. So often I found myself going, well, and my friends, too, and we've had these conversations of going, well, I believe this, but I don't believe everything that other people believe with this. And I need to find a way of differentiating myself from other believers, right? Um, but the problem is, is that we, we all try to dumb each other down to the lowest common denominator, like, and put everybody in a little box that we can understand. <clears throat> and we're so concerned about well, I want to believe this, but I don't want to be totally associated with this or that or this. The thing is, everybody's going to associate you with you based on everything. So the fact that the second that I say I'm a Christian right mm-hmm. now, right. I've already just tuned out probably 95% of my audience, and they've probably already boxed me up and put me in this place. 
But the thing is, I've come to a, a very much of a peace about that. Um, because hopefully, I don't need to apologize for Christians. I don't need to apologize for Democrats. I don't need to apologize for Republicans. I don't need to do any of that. Because I'm not them. I'm Brian. Mm-hmm. I have a quote on my Instagram from Bob Dylan. If, if you've ever seen it, it's, um, all I can do is be me, whoever that is. And I feel like I have one shot to represent what I believe in the best way I can. Right. And for me, that is someone that loves people and, and, and cares about people and that I just try to affect whatever I'm going to affect in as positive as I can. Now, I'm failing totally. There's a lot of people I'm sure in my life that if you talk to them, they'd be like, I hate that guy. And that, um, that's, that's part of it. And we all go through that, though. It, it's just true, yeah. right? But we're so concerned about changing the narrative of a group that we're associated with when we have no chance. I mean, what's funny is the idea that Christian was actually a derogatory term applied to people that followed Christ. Right. So the f- idea they're like, well, we need to give Christians a good name again. Well, no, that was always a derogatory term that was used about Christians that was then finally just adopted as such. And then now we're trying to be as positive. No, that's not what it's about. It's about like, I'm going to get labeled that no matter what I say or do. And that's fine. But so hopefully if someone is really concerned about that, hopefully I can just go, hey, I'm just going to, I love you because I, I really love you. And I really care about you because you're a person and you exist and I get to meet you and maybe they say oh well i've not met a christian like him before that's new and that's all you can do yeah i mean that's that's literally it and if that changes that needle just that much you know but i think that's a really hard place it's taken me a really long time to get there and it, and it takes a lot and i'm not saying i'm always good at that and, and i realized that i knocked that needle back the other way when i act like a jerk which i inevitably do um but i think this this mindset that we have to change one thing or another because that's just like well how do you eat an elephant well <laughs> you know one bite at a time and that one bite is just just worry about you. Just worry about what's going on with you. How are you treating people? How are you affecting the things around you? And uh, quit fighting online about your <laughs> viewpoint. And quit fighting. Why don't you just go out and love somebody and show somebody and live out the character that you're hoping that whatever your association is. And I don't care what it is. But why don't you go out and live it out? And then just that be what you're worried about. If you have a friend that has asked for your opinion and feedbacked, then great. Then you can give it to your friend out of love and kindness and wanting to help or your spouse or whatever. But I, th- I feel like that's, that's the important thing. So it shouldn't be we, it should be me. And, and that's, that should be how it goes forward. So I don't know. Hopefully that wasn't too soapbox for you, but, uh, it's good. No, man. I, um, so I, I can resonate, um, you know, so one of the, when, <laughs> so one of those things that, uh, you were talking about, like, you know, you talk about the me in this, in this situation. So, and not like Christianity is not a homogenous thing. Um, and this can be applied to any number of groups, but they say like, when you when you've met a Christian, you've met one Christian. And you can apply that to any group. Mm-hmm. So you meet 
this person who's like, oh, I'm a Christian. Is that Christianity? No, it's not. So it's like when you say, it might as well be like, like I've met Brian. That's, that is, that, that is the one person that you've met. And, you know, I grew up, um, very Christian, very evangelical. And, um, uh, and I started doubting in my early to mid twenties and I wrestled with my faith a lot, a lot. And, um, came to the conclusion that I wasn't convinced of God's existence in, um, like five years ago. And something that I feel like, you know, when people think, oh, this Andrew's an atheist, that means this. And, um, I think some people, when they first started listening to the podcast, had the sense of like, oh, this, he's this kind of person without maybe knowing, oh, he went to seminary for interfaith dialogue and cares about people of different faiths and feels like we need to find ways to have conversations with each other across differences. Oh, that's who he is. Not just this one little fact about my particular theology you know, and and I think what you're talking about being online and being like, let me just type my thoughts at you rather than, like you're saying, sitting down, talking to an actual person and trying to have a little love or compassion for another person that exists. Like, we all just got thrust into this world with no choice in the matter and we're all trying to navigate it and figure it out and you know I do think that trying to find ways to love each other more is is a good is a good place to start you know but I think for some people who have um they feel like they have a lot more on the on the line um like there are certain things for some people that are like, yeah, I'm not willing to negotiate, you know, um, w- you know, the, it's when we're at a point in culture now where we're like, can't decide whether or not Nazis are good. You know, I think that that's something that some people have a hard time with and where people like that's when people start drawing lines you know, and 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 that's where I think com- it, conversations can be can be difficult and challenging. But you know, w- the second you start taking away a person's humanity, just no matter who they are, it's like that that nothing's gonna end well if you just can't be like you're Brian, you know. And you, if I take that away from you, then where are we going to be as a culture if we can't embrace the humanity of somebody else? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't think it's you know, there's this whole oh man, we should all love each other and this kumbaya stuff. Like, what I'm saying is is actually 
kind of different. It's really more of a one-on-one. I just don't think that it, you either choose to, I mean, look, there's some people that they're going to want to push issues and that's just what they're, that's what is important to them. And, and, and that, I, look, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Uh, for me, I, I choose to find things that connect me with somebody mm-hmm. and instead of be divisive. Um, and because I, I feel like, man, I, I, that's, that's my call. I feel like my call is to really genuinely love people. Mm-hmm. Like I, everybody's call is different. That's just mine, but it isn't this kumbaya love. It's just to go, I want you to feel loved and important when you're around me, period. Um, but it's, it's that, it's that choosing to, to not assume someone is dumb or right. little or small minded because they have a set of beliefs. I mean, my, some of my dearest friends have dynamically different beliefs as me and they know it and I know it. And, and that, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not the, the, the things that make us a great friendship. The right. things that make us a great friendship are a bunch of other stuff. Sure. You know, and again, it's not because I'm not willing to talk about it. If they wouldn't talk about it, I, I, absolutely. Let's have a great conversation where we don't have to hate each other just because we have different beliefs or whatever else. Now, now again, there are times, say, you said Nazis, so let's say Nazis, whatever. So if someone's like, I love Nazis, obviously, right. I'm not going to associate and spend my time on that person, do I need to be mean to them? Well, if they're threatening someone that I care about or love, then I will all day long become a protective person. But I feel like becoming a protective person is very different than than fighting with someone's ideology just to be divisive and to try to prove a point which I will never be able to prove to them. There's a big difference in protection and just arguing for arguing's sake. Right. In that case, I'm just not going to spend any time. I'm not going to waste my breath or waste my energy because it's way too easy to do, especially in today's culture. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So it's really just a matter of going, and, I, and you, you might not even really respect the other person. But again, if that's not what you, you that's not their end all be all that they are this to you because they have this belief um, that you can find something a little bit deeper. I don't know. So that's, again, that's it for, that's mine. That's what drives me. Everybody's different. Um, in that, I'm, I'm not trying to slam anybody for having a different kind of call in their life, but that's that's mine. I don't have, and I don't hear that. So something that I found interesting is that there are these groups, and I've seen various talks by former um, people, former skinheads, former neo Nazis, who essentially deconvert from that way of thinking. Christian Picciolini. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Is he? Yeah. Um, like, so when people talk about, like, going around, like, I find white supremacy abhorrent, and I I think that there needs to be more white people calling calling it out on the reg. But for, for I think people who come from the former white supremacy, former neo-Nazi, uh, you know, background, those are the people who need to be speaking directly to those people who are involved right now, because that's going to have more power than somebody like me going around 
you know, punching Nazis in the face, you know, and, you know, because that's, that's his experience. That's it. That was his, that, that was who he was and that he can speak directly to like that level of, um, you know, why he, he came from a place of choose, he chose to move out of a place of hate. Um, and, and so that's his, you know, to use your word, you know, calling, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where he's at now. Um, and, and so where do we each find ourselves? Like, what do I feel like, um, my calling should be? And, um, for me, like, which is why I went to seminary as an atheist, because I felt like to try and elevate the conversation between people of faith and um, those who identify as uh, ex-evangelicals, as they're called, humanists, um, non-theists, whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call them, because it's not one large homogenous group, just like Christianity. It's not a homogenous group. But trying to find ways to... Um, not in a kumbaya way, as you were saying, to just be like, let's just talk about how we're all similar, because that just sort of, like, that, if you only talk about how you're similar, then you don't talk, you're not talking about what makes you different, because that's also important. If you If you and I just got together and talked about only the things that made us similar, then how deep of a relationship could we have? You know, mm-hmm. like if you weren't, if you, if I refuse to acknowledge, uh, your, your particular theology, our, our relationship and our, uh, could only go so far. Uh, I don't know. I disagree. Um, and, and here's why. Whatever I have to say, I mean, in this case we're talking about, I mean, it could be lots of things, but in this case we're talking about a belief in God. Whatever I have to say about that isn't going to change the fact whether you believe in God or not, right? Whether you believe his existence. Um, The only thing that may is a lifestyle. It's a character. It's seeing something different. It's seeing a realness in that that makes you question if, well, is there something to his actions, his the way he lives his life? And I don't feel the need to say, well, let's talk about it. It's something you you don't believe in, so let's talk about it. let's let's debate it. Because I'm not you know interested. I, I'm not interested yeah. in debates, and but, that's not but, where I'm coming wh- from. Yeah. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't want to come to you and be like, let's let's um, talk about your reasons or anything. But at the same, what I'm saying is like, I wouldn't ask you to deny the the. It's like if we were to get together, I wouldn't ask you to not share the parts of of your beliefs because they're different from mine. It's not like I would say, okay, as long as we're together, let's just talk about... It doesn't even need to be about religion, but about politics. Like, if we're not talking about the things that we're passionate about or mm-hmm. central... and. Then, then what I'm saying is, how deep can our relationship be if we're not, if if we're only talking about the Venn diagram where we're only talking about the things we share? Because there's yeah. so much more 
to us as people than the things that we have in common, you know? For sure. But with that said, and debate's the wrong word. I mean, have a discussion amongst friends. But you've also just mentioned basically the two things you never talk about at work that are outlawed of talking about at work, <laughs> which yeah. are religion and politics. Right. Right. So that, the, the, frankly, my sphere of what I'm into in life and what I'm passionate about, I have beliefs or I have opinions about politics. Frankly, they don't go much outside of my wife and one or two people in my life. Religion obviously plays a big part in my life. I'm religion, quote unquote, I hate that term, but my, you know, my relationship with God, I'll say it like that. That obviously a lot more people know about that, that have more of a, an everyday vested interest in that. And people outside of that, it does come up at time to time, frankly, because they're like, I can't believe that you believe in this and I don't doubt you for believing this or whatever, for whatever the reason they bring it up. But my point is that <clears throat> I, I choose not to engage those two topics because I feel they are divisive. And for me, like you're saying, I think that you can have incredibly deep relationships without those needing to be the center of, a, the, of, of, the, of, of the focus of the relationship. If you ask me, Sure, yeah, I believe. That. So, okay, what in my politics? I'll be like, I, I lean conservative. Well, do you want to talk about it? No, nah, I'm good. That's it, because, because why else? But I, I can talk about some things I'm really passionate about. I can talk about, well, I love film, I'm a huge film nerd. I'll talk about Malik all day long before I'll talk about that. And you can learn a lot more about my soul by talking about Malik than you can ever about some stuff that I that really disgusts me about politics. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that, and again, that's me. And I really respect a lot of people that are really, that are really um, interested in politics or interested in religious conversations. I respect that. That's just not me. I just choose not to engage on that level or I politely decline or, and, and I'll just say, let's just, you know, let's focus on this. But I really, I, I, I can't even really think of a time that I even have to do that in a way that's awkward. You know what I mean? And again, I think that's why my, my relationships in the music industry work, because largely, if I lean conservative for my own reasons, and I have a Christ-following, you know, um, I'm self-proclaimed Christ-follower, well, that doesn't work too well in the music industry. Yet, all these dear friends that know that's what I believe, they trust me more than a lot of people. So... And again, it's because I've said, I value you more than I value the differences between us. You know what I mean? And we haven't had to talk about the differences. We know it. I can go on their social media. They can go, you know what I mean? So all I'm saying is to all that is I personally, no disrespect to you, is I personally disagree that you can have really deep fundamental conversations and friendships and relationships without putting politics or religion anywhere near it. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, heck, one of my one of my dearest friends, Steve Shippy, who, by the way, let me use the camera, the Sony, for the MXPX video shoots. So you have all have him. He's a rapper, right? He's on Tech Nine's label. He's oh, his wow. name his uh, his name's Prozac, and he's a world renowned rapper uh, and filmmaker. And uh, he asked me to do these haunted films with him, which are now some of the most worldwide seen independent films. So but I wanted MXPX to be my first million view thing. No, it's my haunting films I do <laughs> with Steve. And Steve and I come from very different backgrounds. You know what I mean? And some of the best 
conversations and the most brotherly conversations come in between him and I when we come from very different belief backgrounds, you know, and even him asking me to do the haunted stuff. I have some real issues and he knows it with the haunting stuff. I won't go and actually do the investigation portion because I don't want to mess with darkness because I believe there's power in it. That's just my opinion. So I don't want to do that. So I said, okay, I feel comfortable to do these interviews and all the beautiful shots and stuff that don't involve chasing dark spirits around a house. And so we can have this really amazing friendship and artistic chemistry, yet completely disagreeing on the subject matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there's a respect and love for one another in that. So that might be, know. sorry, a good transition to talking about. Are there any uh, upcoming projects, MXPX related or otherwise, haunting related or otherwise, that you want to plug? <laughs> well, uh, MXPX, um, and by the way, I really do appreciate the conversation and questions. I do want to say that because I think they are good, and I and I do appreciate the idea of wanting to know on a not a conflict level, but and I yeah. and I have a lot of respect from where you're coming from. I'm well, saying that my specific call is. So I just wanted to just say that. No, and and and. and not to derail John's question, but we'll get like, back to him saying, yeah. my, no, but my genuine, my question comes from a place not of only focusing on those two, only those two areas, but to, to get to the embodiment of an entire person, the humanity of a, an entire person, because whether or not like it's you want to dive into a single person's individual politics that um the politics of of certain people uh and certain people's situations can be um can be what's affecting their day-to-day life um whether or not that's my situation or in not just my not I'm not just talking about my individual beliefs, um, but like for some like the the day to day day issues in our political system right now that is that is something that that's affecting their humanity. But f- what I'm saying too is it's about trying to find ways to elevate the conversation to recognize the humanity in each other and and have those real conversations and without bringing the uh bringing the hate to it bringing but you know being like hey we're still brothers we're still we're still people we're still um figuring this out together and um i talked about this on the pod before that i have a friend who um is uh catholic and conservative and we have great conversations Mm -hmm. like even though on paper it would look like how are these guys friends Mm -hmm. uh but because he's a good dude and he has a great big heart and he's kind so like you tell that like that that's that's good enough for me you know yeah absolutely So, so no, I, yeah, I, I absolutely. I think it comes down to, you know, if someone believes something different, it's can you find something that works if you, and, and not talk about it? Or can you talk about it and still get along with them? Or do you just not need to 
talk to somebody in general and not be friends with them. I think those are kind of the three options, you know, yeah. for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously more than willing to talk about my, you know, my faith standpoint, but, you know, from a politics standpoint, I just choose to decline because I just, for me personally, I've been around it. I've seen some nastiness. I've had a camera on my shoulder and all of it. And frankly, I don't care. I, I, I just, I frankly don't care. And that doesn't mean I don't have opinions and I don't vote. I do. I do not I, I don't care enough to talk about it because I, it it's just it will poison my heart, you know. And I and I recognize the the temptation to have my heart poisoned, and that's not what, like I said, what I'm called to. And if I'm, my heart's poisoned, I can't do what I what what I'm called to do, which is to to love on people and um, and to to find that common ground. So for me, it's just a topic that I choose not to engage in for the most part. Like I said, I don't mind telling, but does that make sense? So, but I think, but I, like I said, I re- have a lot of respect for people that do and, and find that that's important for them and, and understanding and getting and understanding and knowing that in another person. So I have a lot of respect for that as well. So, so <laughs> signature hard left turn yeah. uh, for our pod back to uh, stuff you want to plug. MXPX or otherwise. <laughs> well, um, you know, MXPX, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, not going to be surprised by this, but uh, I don't know. Do we have anything going? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I know. I know. That's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> um, we've always got something cooking. Yeah. We, we literally, for 10 years, I've had something cooking for the MXPX. I can't talk about anything, but sure. I, I will say that, like, you know, the big push I just put out four music videos. So <laughs> while while my wife gave birth and I'm still I have a two and a half month old child. So, but come on, man, what have you done for us lately? <laughs> I know I had to turn down going out to the Best Life uh, release. I That's was supposed brutal, to fly out man. for that. That's brutal. Film, but, uh, no, I you know um, there's always something. There's always something cooking, and we've got some big stuff that we want to do down the line. And I think probably right now it's just regroup after such a big push figure out our long-term and mid-term goals and uh, start working on that, you know. So, um, yeah, as far as other projects, um, the MXPX with the 25 and then the 25-year and then the, the new album, those have been my big ones. But um, every year I produce a film. Going back to that to that, that series, uh, what's funny is, so it always been a thing with his fans and the regionally, they're all done in Michigan. It's called the uh, Haunted Saginaw series. And uh, last year, they got released on Amazon Prime, and they've just blown up. And I've been involved. This will be my fifth film. So he does one every year, and there's been nine, which is just an unreal pace to put these out. And, uh, man, I just I love Steve. He's the best Prozac to fans out there. He's just the best guy. He's a brother to me. And uh, we just have a lot of fun. We go up. He usually makes me stay up all night, and I'm used to working day jobs, so I drive up, and I'm filming all night for three nights, and <laughs> and it's crazy. Um, but we've got the big premiere this weekend. It sells out every year, over 3,000 people, red carpet premiere for the film, so that's always cool. And, and now they're on Amazon Prime, so um, they're free to watch on there, but it's crazy to think. Again, I'm I'm doing these music videos and everything else, and the thing that gets seen the most worldwide is is these haunting films. But I, I'm really proud to be part of them. And like I said, uh, um, it's it's weird that I I don't like <laughs> dabbling uh-huh. with the thing that I'm technically behind. Sure. But um, 
like I said, it's 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 for my love of Steve and a friendship there and, a, and camaraderie. So yeah, we've got that premiering. It's a um, this next one is called A Haunting on Finn Road, The Devil's Grove. Very ominous. Yeah, and they're they're kind of like a, a paranormal investigation, History Channel type mashup thing. And uh, I'm actually in this one. I've I've survived four films. He's always threatened to turn the camera on I me. Mean, I don't I don't do the investigations, but sure. we're in these haunted, crazy places at 3 a.m. because that's when he films, and I'm doing these interviews with these people, and inevitably, things happen. And I, <laughs> I've seen some stuff, and I'm not yeah, going to go yeah. into it, but more stuff than I want to want to see. But this one, some craziness happens. Uh, so I'm actually in this one. I don't even know how. I haven't even seen the film yet. Uh, but I'm wearing my MXPX hoodie. I look like <laughs> crap because it's 3 a.m. and I was sure. wearing sweats, <laughs> trying to awesome. like stay awake and drinking coffee all night. But so anyway, yeah, yeah, it, it'll be on Amazon Prime, I think, uh, on Halloween by Halloween. Cool. So if you guys are interested in it, uh, and then the four previous, there's nine previous. Well, there's eight on there now, and like I said, I did chronologically um, the last four five what including this one so but uh yeah go and check those out if you're in the mood and want something a little bit spooky yeah and uh you learn something about uh michigan as well while you're at it i'm into it uh well let's see we don't know what we're going to talk about in our next episode quite yet yes because we don't know exactly when this is going to air but um but we can tell you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Magnified Pod. And Brian, where can uh, people find you? Um, pretty much my name. Um, I got rid of Facebook, um, so I'm five, it's probably, it's five years smart. Facebook sober. Oh, good. So uh, no relapses. <laughs> Listen to the Mike Herrera podcast I just did. Okay, just coming out before this one because I actually tell the story about me messing up he wanted to he, he's obsessed with like knowing my crazy <laughs> dating stories yes so just go and listen to the there was the five... there was an allusion to that yes. on the one five years ago what there was there yes was like, he he talked kept talking about some crazy girl <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. and then so... then you never got to it <laughs> yeah that comes up in this one because okay. he reached five years later. He tries to get me to tell the story. I tell a little bit more. Okay. It involves Josh Cater from the Smoking Popes as well. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. Like it's it's that's, crazy. That's clickbait right there. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Anyway. So. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, Instagram, Twitter is pretty much where I'm at. You know, uh, Instagram. It's just me posting what I like and what I do. If you're on Twitter, it's probably a lot of Chicago Blackhawks stuff. Right on. Um, maybe some anybody Dis- from the Bla- some Disney picks. lots of Disney sure, stuff. Sure. Yeah. If anybody from Blackhawks listen to this, hook me up. Uh, telling <laughs> Get you, my back, buddy, I'll plug you wherever. Adam Kemp and I, a dude. <laughs> but yeah, we'll talk about it. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Brian with a Y. So B R Y A N B U C H E L T. My brother, the only other B R Y Brian. It's I the right know. way. It's the right way to spell it. Yeah. Man. I don't know if. Uh, Bremerton Bry spilled it with an I or yeah. Y, but do you know? Do you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I've never heard about this. I listened to that. I listened to that episode. A... I'm, I'm buddies with Jason. Jason, Jared, and I all came in. We came in kind of the same Sometime. era together, you know. Okay, but you know, you know about uh, the <laughs> teenage politics, Bry. Right? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. But now, but Mike. I texted him and I texted you guys that my that was my nickname, right, right, Bri. Right, right, right. So that was that's a real thing. That's what I was called. Okay. Well, so. it's a study humans uh, shout out. Uh, studied a girl named Bri with my eye. That's the origin <laughs> of that. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, send us an email at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. Rate and review us or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a voicemail at 8727-MAGPOD. Any closing thoughts? Um, thank you for your time, Brian. Yeah, I just want to thank, thank Brian for his time, his honesty, his um, willingness to let us, you know, come hang here, hang show us around. Hanger. That's right. Hang in the hangar. And, um, yeah, man, thanks for everything uh, you've done for the MXPX community. Yeah, and, uh, and for rep, repping the fans right. and um, doing what you do. You guys so, got it. Thank you this, guys. This best laughs for you. <laughs> you no, better. seriously, thank you guys. I, it's an honor for me and it's a privilege. And uh, that's, that's my, been my biggest hope is that I can go, man, this is what fans want. And I can hopefully give them that from my perspective at least a little bit. And so thanks for even being interested in to hear me ramble and, for sure. and let me ramble. It's been great. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Well, on the next episode, we'll cover something great uh, when it'll be about time for a podcast at our house. And it wouldn't be the same without you. So join us, won't you? All right, so Brian, quickly, very quickly, what was your first CD that you ever bought? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie soundtrack. What year was this? <laughs> Whatever year the movie came out, you have to go look it up. 95, 96 maybe? Probably right in yeah. that range. It had Red Hot Chili Peppers, all right, so everybody back off. I feel like it was a decent soundtrack. It was. I decent. saw it in the movie theater. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and top three MXPX songs. <laughs> well, Doing Time. Doing Time. I don't know if I have another one. I will say this. I didn't say this in the podcast. I have a rule okay. that like help me maintain like enjoying concerts when I'm filming. I have a rule that I, I will always stop when doing time is on and just take it in. Oh, That's good. So, like, so you didn't because do I have to blast at, at 350 at the Punk I did Fest. not. I did not because it was a different venue. But like when MXPX is playing, I kind of have that rule that's like stop take it in take yeah. in the moment that you get to like be here and be in that yeah. position and, okay. and wherever you want to be so when doing time comes on you you almost always see me put down my camera and just stop and listen and watch that's awesome so well anyway. i mean you give yourself that that minute 25 to yeah, just yeah. enjoy it that's i feel like that's fair yeah so anyway that's all that's right. it that's it all right that's all we got <laughs> done and done right, hey, man. hey man thank you for everything be safe heading all right, over, right? thanks appreciate it